As humans, we're naturally driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search, match with Indeed. When I was looking to hire someone, it was so slow and overwhelming. I wish I had used Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash podcast. That's Indeed.com slash podcast. Terms and conditions apply. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. This is a More Than Just Podcast production. Welcome to this podcast, Season 4, Episode 49. My name is Tim Mitchell. I am in Toronto, Ontario. I'm joined once again by Jonathan Kulai in Mississauga, Ontario. Hello there, children. And we also have Jaime Lopez Jr. in Seattle, Washington. How's it going? You didn't say, hey, kids, how's it going? Or whatever you, what is it? What are you, is it children you've been saying lately? Or? Who, me? Yeah. Yes, yeah, it's either hey, kids, or hey, hey, children, how's it going? Oh, that's that's the new catchphrase? Okay. Hey, kids. Hey, hey. Mark, I, I want to do my uh, best Krusty the Clown. Hey, hey. Yeah, hello there. We'll get to that in a minute. Sorry. Well, hello there. <laughs> Alrighty. <laughs> Alrighty, then. All right, let's move on to the headlines, which are completely true. I'm sure of it. Authentic. Authentic headlines. Well, I didn't put any of them on here, so they must be true. Okay. <laughs> All right. All right. Well, first up, we've got uh, some news this week for Game of Thrones fans. Is that what the headlines are about, though? Like news? No, sorry. News is news. Headlines are news. Uh, okay. So... There's a couple of stories circulating this week that have now been confirmed. So, George R. R. Martin himself, on his blog today, confirmed that he is working with Kit Harington on a potential Game of Thrones sequel, loosely at this point titled Snow. And it is what happens to Jon Snow after the events of the series Game of Thrones. So... This is an unusual development. He says in his blog post that this is uh, was initiated entirely by the actor, which is to say, Kit Harrington said, "I would love to go back and play this character again. Let's let's talk." So they haven't confirmed that they're going to make a show. They haven't said that they're going to definitely do it. They are at this point just sort of noodling where they could go with this. It's interesting. It wouldn't be my first choice if they were going to pick up characters and sort of do the the, the further adventures of characters. Jon Snow would not be the top of my list. I, I would probably be much more interested in what Arya went off to go do in the land, unexplored lands and stuff like that. But mm -hmm, mm -hmm. beggars can't be choosers, and I guess it could be interesting. Uh, how appealing is this for either of you? I'd probably watch it anyway. 
It's almost it's almost shiny. It almost has an apple on it. I think it probably gets a, a watch from me. Um, I don't know if it'll be uh, live as it goes. I think I'm going to wait to see what ends up happening in August with the um, prequel series to see can they recapture the magic because we, we've been burned before. So we want to make them, you know, show us that they, they still got something. Yeah, I mean, the prequel series, I think, is is doing the right thing by a prequel, which is to say it's not set like a generation before, as we have seen in so many other things. It's set a hundred full years before. So the names may be familiar, but there really is no major knock-ons. So hopefully it'll be a little less complex than some prequel stories, which we may be talking about later in this episode. The... uh, the idea of doing a sequel, I mean, I think sequels are natural, but I just, as I say, I, I I don't think, I mean, I'm sure they'll do a good job. It depends on who's obviously doing the writing. George R. R. Martin says that he's involved. If he's going to sort of help, you know, move the concept forward, maybe this is his way of sort of taking a little bit more ownership over his characters as opposed to sort of, he kind of got a little... Um, screwed out of his his telling his own story to finish up his own story by the television series this way he'd be able to do his own thing so maybe that'll be better but i yeah i don't know i don't know i guess i guess we'll see if this one actually comes to fruition this seems this seems like much ado about nothing at this point other than obviously these two are talking about it true true what is what is kid what well, kid harrington been doing anything since well, Game of Thrones? he had a tv show rock like a cop show or something didn't he? um i don't know about that i know he was uh he was dane whitman in the eternals which was the and he was the sort of the uh the teaser at the end of that movie was dane with the ebony blade which is um dane whitman in the comic books is a character known as the black knight who carries this cursed sword around and um so I, I think the assumption was that he was going to have a role to play in this next chapter of MCU stories. Maybe he can do both. Who knows? Yeah, well, he's already he's already typecast, so why not? Sure. I mean, he's a short guy with a sword. And he wears dark black things, right? There you go. There you go. Cool. Uh, news today, Solar Opposites Season 3. We knew they were working mm-hmm. on it, but today we got our first teaser trailer and we got a date july 13th solar opposites uh, solar opposites is coming to hulu in the united states and it's coming to star on disney plus in canada so yeah yeah i immediately that was where my, my my mind was like oh no don't do this to me and they quickly put it up on uh, disney plus canada's social feeds today saying so you've taken taken in the solar opposites now have you i still have not watched the last i think two episodes because i had committed to watching it with my sons and it is not going quickly uh although now that we know there's a new season coming perhaps i can spur them to finally watch the last couple but uh but i loved i loved everything i watched it's hilarious yeah it is great yeah it's it's like rick and morty but not quite as dark yeah but it's twisted in, in sort of you know a lot of different ways too yeah it doesn't doesn't quite get into the sort of like lasering people in half kind of stuff yeah that's true yeah and also it just rick's innate darkness in the show is definitely a little heavier element that they don't really have in in solar opposites but it also it's it's worth mentioning that um the 
one of the key people on those shows is also the guy who does Lower Decks, right? Mike yeah. McMahon? Yeah. Um, yeah. So it's, there's definitely a big... Oh, the showrunner guy is the same guy? Yeah. Yeah. Oh, okay, cool. So, yeah. Yeah, I thought, but they aren't they, aren't they like the same company does the animation and all that kind of stuff too? Like It does adults? seem very alike, yes. Yeah. I mean, I thought it was the same production company as as Rick and Morty and the writers and all that kind of stuff for this. Justin yep. Rowland, for yep. instance, right? Yep, yep. Yep. Okay. Cool. Yep. So, yeah, good news on that front. It's, uh, timing of that one is interesting, too. Just dropping in the middle of the summer, I think it'll have uh, a little bit of runway, right? The, not there's a, This is a super busy month for content, but it starts to fizzle a little bit over the summer, so it'll be good for them to sort of drop in the middle of the summer. And the last one I got, the headline got me on this one. This is a good one. So a copy, a sealed copy of the VHS tape for Back to the Future has sold for $75,000. Now, when I saw that, I was like, excuse me, I'll be in my basement digging up my old VHS cassettes. But this one comes with a catch. So the seller of this one is uh, the actor who played Biff uh, in the Back to the Future trilogy, and he is selling his. Um, uh, sorry, Tom Wilson is his name. Um, he is selling his original copy that he has owned all this time, but strangely has never opened and watched, which I think is really funny. Uh, he. I guess he had put some stuff up on eBay and said, you know, I want to do this. The bidding kind of went nuts and he went, oh, actually, what I need to do is do this properly. So he went to Heritage Auctions, uh, one of the companies that does the, uh, you know, the, the, the rare art and the rare collectibles and stuff like that for their auctions. And he put it together a proper sale. Uh yeah, sealed VHS tapes of Back to the Future 1, 2, and 3, as well as uh, uh, he's going to sign a note accompanying each tape, and he's going to sign each shipment. So that's the enticement, is you could not only own a copy of this, but you could own his copy signed by him. Still, a lot. The highest price ever paid at auction for a sealed, graded VHS cassette. Wow. Yeah, people will collect anything, I guess. I, I have my Back to the Future uh, VHS collection downstairs. If anybody wants to make me an offer, I will sell it for, I assure you, less than Tom Wilson sold his for. But is it the original, not letterbox, crappy, yep. blockbuster version it, sealed? Uh, it is not sealed. It has been watched. Uh, but, it, but boy, I have, if, if anybody wants to make a bid on some old VHS cassettes, I've got several boxes full sitting in my uh, down basement yeah, crawl space. Here. It's all neat, nicely tucked away. I have some sealed ones too. Like I'm sure, just about any movie I ever bought, Carol is. I guarantee it's <laughs> still, still sealed. sealed I know, package. I know. Yeah, I have a few of those for my wife as well. Yeah, definitely. Some like it hot. Actually, you know, what I just bought the other day at a, at a at a our street sale. Like I bought a copy of Clone Wars season one, still sealed, right? Wow. And a copy of Clerks, which I never I never owned the DVD of Clerks, so now I own one. There you go. Yeah. Not, not that I need to watch it because I pretty much got it memorized. You know. Plus, it's on Disney or something, right? Or um, Prime or yeah, it something. must be on one of those services. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Yep. Yeah, cool. And that's it for the headlines. All right, we're at the main part of our show. That was so quick. Uh, people are not going to be people are going to be you know skipping ahead forty minutes. I'm going to miss like the first you know recap here. So yeah, this is part of the show where we talk about something usually something Star Trek shaped, and uh, but we also have uh, some a little bit of Obi Wan Kenobi for you, and we also have some Miss Ms. Marvel. Um, so. All right, so we, it was it the Elysian Kingdom or the Kingdom of Elysian? 
uh, I search for Kingdom of Elysian and everything is saying the Elysian Kingdom in Google search results. Yeah, it was a cover of the book. I meant to look right the cover down, but let me just... That, that, what, that's what it said on the front of the book, was the Kingdom of Elysian, or Elysian. Well, what did it say? That's Are you going by the, the title of the, book? of the book or the title of the episode? Because the title of the episode apparently is the, the Elysian Kingdom. Yeah, and the okay. title of the book is The Kingdom of Elysian. <laughs> Thus the confusion, because it, it kind of depends on your point of view of what you... Let's, All right, let's calm down, ahead. Obi-Wan. From a certain point of view... <laughs> All right. So, well, hello there. Hello All there. Right. Well, hello there. Um, how are you doing? Okay. This week's episode is called The Elysian Kingdom. And uh, it starts off with, with uh, Dr. Ambega. Uh, sorry, what's his first name? They mentioned it today in the show. Uh, Una calls him that. Is it Joseph? Hang on. Jo- yeah, Joseph, I think is what she says. Joseph Ambega is reading to his daughter. Yeah, Rikia. He's reading to his daughter, Rikia. From the book that he reads her every time he pulls her out of the tra- uh, transportation buffer, he's got her in the in the buffer because she's suffering from sinochemia and uh, which is a made up thing. But anyway, um, so and he has to take her. If those who haven't been following the show, he has to take her in and out of the buffer, and he has to put her back, you know, pretty quickly and that kind of thing. So the daughter says, "You know, come on, Dad, read me the story one more time." And he's like, "I got to put you book, catch you in the, in the buffer," and because uh, every minute she's out, she's you know jeopardizing the end of her life, sort of thing. And um, so uh, he reads her the, the ending, and she gets support in part of the book. I don't know if you've ever read a book to a kid, but you always know there's one part where they go, I don't like that part, right? And uh, he explains to her that, you know, well, if you don't like that part, you can, when, you know, when you're older, you can write your own stories, you can write your own endings, and, and you can control how things work, right? Um, and so, you know, we, we, in looking at through the book, he, he reads, he, he mentions King Ridley, he mentions the... Zemira, the Huntress of the Forest, yeah, the Queen, forgotten the Queen's name, mentions the Queen and, and the story of uh, how they have this Mercury Stone and King Ridley has the Mercury Stone. At the end of it, you know, he has to make a choice and he tries to explain to his daughter that the whole point of, of the story is that he has to make this choice between, uh, I think it's his kingdom and, and the stone and, and which one he wants to keep. Or Anyway, so long story short, puts the book away, puts her back in the transporter buffer and uh, we enter the title scene, I think, but he's so he goes back and starts working on his on his research and he's mixing some chemicals together and he does something really weird and and the chemical com- composition starts to smoke and he starts coughing and the uh, computer immediately puts a little force field around the this and to contain the uh, the uh, chemical reaction because you know before it gets bad and kills him or what have you and uh, he's kind of wondering about that and he's sitting there and um, Una comes up to him and says you know excuse me Joseph. Uh, do you think you should like, you know, go check the, the shuttle crew out to the landing party out to make sure that they're fit to return to ship? And he's like, yeah, yeah, sorry. I just got carried away with my research. And, you know, she says, I, you know, well, you, you know, you need to take care of the, the your duties first. And, and he's like, yeah, yeah I'll, I'll get to them. And she says, no, no, you look exhausted. You need to go and get some rest. And he's like, okay, I'll go get some rest or whatever. So meanwhile, I forgot to tell, mention that the starts off with the, it's, medical doctors or medical what do you call it, medical officers um personal log yeah. um and uh in this episode and he's tell, he tells about the fact that the uh the enterprise is here um in the uh checking out this one giant nebula and they're just basically you know uh, marking time with it so we go back to the bridge and there's uh spock sort of saying we've collected all the buoys we can now we can now leave the system we've had, made all our observations and that kind of stuff and Pike's commenting on how this is great. I could, you know, I could just kick back and do this. It saves, you know, better than having to fight aliens all the time. And 
do negotiations, this is this is kind of nice. Just getting into the science of of you know what we're aware to do and concentrate on that, right? And uh, he's like, well, let's uh, let's uh, head for home or head off to uh, the next starbase and um, um, ask Ortega to to hit the warp. And she says, are you going to say it? And he goes, hit it. And she pushes the button, and nothing happens. The engine goes, wah, 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 wah. you know that Excelsior sound, right? Um, and uh, so he goes, "Well, uh, we can't get uh, impulse going. There's something, maybe the the space distortion from the from the um, uh, nebula is affecting our warp. We can't kind of create a warp bubble." And okay, let's try the the um, impulse engine. And for some reason, Ortega's standing at this point, but I didn't understand why, but. She pushes the the impulse button and the, sh- the ship lurches forward because I guess she forgot to put the foot on the brake when she engaged the engine. But uh, and she goes flying and gets knocked out unconscious. And so um, Pike calls the doctor and Vega to, to come up because there's only one doctor on duty ever, right? Calls the doctor and Vega to come up and and uh, check her out right away. So he and Vega's like, oh, he's just falling asleep, and he goes puts his hand on the transporter control and says, bridge. And beams up or just trans- transports up to the uh, to the bridge. And as he arrives on the bridge, the doors open, and he's dressed like a king, right? And he's got a crown on. He's got long robes. And he's looking at his clothing. Going, What's going on here? And, and he looks around, and he sees that uh, everybody else in the uh, on the bridge crew look like they're at a sort of a you know like a medieval party or, or like a costume party or something like that. And Pike comes over to him and, and starts, you know, talking, you know, with a real sort of effeminate kind of tone. Um, you know, he's sort of the, his doofus, you know, second or, or handyman kind of thing. And uh, a character named Sir Roth. And Ortega comes over and Ortega's addressed like a sort of like a, a knight, you know, uh, very, you know, leather, wearing leather with a sword and the whole bit. And, and uh, she's she's Aria. And he's like, uh, or Aria, not like Aria Stark. But uh, put like Arya Stark. Let's go with that. But uh, you know, and he's like, "What's going on here?" And and they're all they're all saying, "Well, you're my king, and you know, my liege, and all this kind of stuff." And he's like, "This is just too weird." And he's not sure what's going on with with uh, all this crazy this crazy crew. And um, so he heads back down to uh, and and he's wondering, like, nobody seems to understand what's going on. He remembers who he is, but nobody else seems to remember who they are. And which he finds kind of odd. So this, and it's kind of a throwback this episode to you know the original series and to you know other ones. It's kind of a little bit of naked time going on there because is is there something that's affecting these people, making them think that they're these different people uh, as opposed to themselves and that kind of stuff. So it's a, it's, a, it's a sort of throwback kind of episode in sort of in terms of that kind of storyline, very similar to the original original uh, kind of stories that they would do. He heads back down to sick bay, and they're like, "Where is the sick bay thing you you speak of, my liege?" And uh, he so he heads back down there, and and uh, he runs into Nurse Chapel, who's dressed as a sort of a um, medieval um, woman kind of dress dress you know style, and she's obviously some sort of uh, uh, healer. Uh, and he's like, "I'm looking for a tricorder," and she says, "What? What? Pray tell is a tricorder?" And you know, she uh, he pulls out this he pulls up a medical the medical scanner thing that they used to scan, and he starts scanning himself to see what's going on, and and uh, he finds that uh, he's perfectly fine. There's nothing wrong with him medically, kind of thing. And she's and then he starts to scan uh, Chapel as well, and of course finds out that her dopamine levels are way off the charts. You know, which means that she's basically uh, imagining or dreaming kind of thing. Like, uh, but she doesn't know who she is, and so she's being sort of very ethereal and. 
misty and whatever, but not, you know, more, more of an alchemy kind of approach to medicine than, than his science, right? Um, yeah, so the, so the, when he's up on the bridge, they talk about this, this crimson guard, you know, who are, who are up to no good as usual. And, and uh, as he's going down the hallway, he buys that the crimson guard, which is the, uh, the ensign who was uh, sitting beside Ortega originally, I think, on the bridge. She's now in charge of the, the Crimson Guard. She's the only speaking one of three of them that have the role. And um, I remember Arya said something to them about, you know, them got to no good. And they're dragging Hammer through the corridor. He's like on his, lying on his back and they're dragging him by his hands. And he's like, Sister Ambega, like, hey, Dr. Ambega, like, what is going on here? Like, tell these people, that, you know, like, I'm, I got to get back to engineering and take care of the ship and whatever, fix the warp core. And, and uh, so Ambega kind of clues in that, that uh, Hammer knows what's going on. And he explains that, yeah, he did notice some sort of weird uh, uh, kind of thing affecting his, his brain, his telepathy. And, and because of his telepathy and the fact that he's blind, he was able to, to uh, block the, the, whatever the effect was on him. So anyway, as they're, as they're going through the story, Embega um, kind of notices that the characters that all these people are playing are from the book he was reading, his daughter, earlier in the, in the beginning, of, in, the, in the cold open, right? And uh, they come across Spock, who's got long hair and, and, you know, staff, and he looks like a, you know, sort of a gandalf kind of character, or, or like a Aragorn kind of character. Um, but his name is Pollux, and uh, so they they ask uh, Pollux if uh, if he can help them go rescue. Uh, and I forget the name of the that they called Hammer, but uh, rescue uh, the the Hammer character. And, and Spock says, or Pollux says, why would I do that? He goes, well, because he's your brother and you like him and stuff. And so they he goes, well, I I can take you around the the poisonous sea, and we can go up this this. Uh, I know a way to get there. And he goes over to the Jeffrey's tube, and he says, this will take us directly to to the area you want to go to, uh, to, you know, get by the thing. So they, they climb up the Jeffrey's tube and at the top of the Jeffrey's tube, when they get in there, um, yeah. Okay. So they're sort of the engineering area and they get there and of course, like a throne and, and it's the queen and it, the queen of course is played by Uhura. And in the book, you see the, the character of the queen as well. And she's dressed in a white, white gown and it's very similar with a headdress on it. It's very similar to what Uhura is dressed. And she's like, you know, um, you know, King Ridley, you false king, you and and I, I want the I want the Mercury Stone that you have, and tell me where it is. And and uh, he's been playing along all at this point in time, saying that he he you know, alluding to the fact that they all think he has this Mercury Stone, and that's what makes him a great king and stuff like that. And he tells her that he doesn't know where it is because he he mentioned he admits to Arya earlier that he doesn't in fact know where it is, and. Uh, so she's like, well, I'll, you know, I'll, I'll torture you and we'll drag it out of, drag the information out of you. He's like, well, go ahead and try. I just don't know. Uh, so anyway, so they throw him and uh, Pike shows up at some point too, right? So Pike has uh, Sir Roth and Arya are, are there as well. And because they're traveling with him and they end up get thrown in a brig, which is like, uh, has metal bars. And I believe it was a, tra- to me, it looked like the transporter bay where they were, right? Um, and they're imprisoned and, you know, uh, Pike being a, a doofus, playing a doofus character is like, oh, I can't stand it. The walls are closing in on me and all that kind of stuff. And of course and, they uh, deliberately gave him the bad hair too, right? They, they, yeah. Well, they've, they've parted his hair down the middle. So the, so the, 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 what do you call it? The, the pompadour. pompadour is gone, right? Yeah. He, he lost the pompadour. He lost the cool guy haircut and had to be the dork. 
Yeah, so he's sort of dork, sort of the dork, and he wants to run away back to protect the king. He just wants to run away, and and Arya, of course, is running around. She's sworn an oath to protect the king, so she's always want to stay by the king's side and wants to stab so, everybody. <laughs> yeah, so yeah, with her sword. And uh, Hammer um, says, "Well, you know, I can, I can, uh, I can get us out of this this situation here." And they go, well, "How can you do that?" He goes, "I'm a wizard, you know," and and uh, he all used silence and. He pulls out like a like a sort of a, a wand looking thing and says, "What does it? What do uh, musicians normally say?" And and somebody says, "Abracadabra!" And he goes, "Okay, well, you guys want to all look away because you know this will this will blind you if you watch." And they're like, "Well, how can it protect? You? How can how come that won't blind you?" And which of course he's already blind. He says, "Because I'm a wizard." And so they turn away and he uses this this tool to basically laser the lock on the on the, the bridge, on the brig door and gets out. And so they're like, oh, it's amazing. And wow. And all that kind of stuff. And uh, Aria passes by. She goes, I like this science. And uh, so they head off down, down the hallway. And as they come across the hallway, they run into the Crimson Guard again. And, uh, you know, she wants to start having sword fights with everybody. And so she, so the Aria defending them gets to have her sword fight and pulls out her sword and they start, you know, shoot, um, whacking each other with their swords. Nobody gets killed, though. Interestingly enough, but uh, they, you know, they have at you. And uh, the uh, at some point, you you see the Crimson Guard get taken out by these these. You know, you hear a, a sound like an arrow going whipping by and and taking them out. And uh, sure enough, it's it's uh, and and at one point, Embega says that these are characters all appearing in the book as they sort of do in in the story, which is why he recognizes them. And it turns out it's Zamira, played by Una. And she's the huntress of the forest. And, and uh, he says to Hammer, don't worry, she's an ally. And, of course, Una and Arya get together and like, hey, you, you didn't call me. Like, what's up with you? Couldn't you send a raven? Like, you know, what's going on? You didn't get back to me. And they're, so they're, you know, obviously talking as if they, you know, they're, they've been seeing each other or they have a relationship or something like that. And uh, at one point they, they, they uh, you know, the king says to, or Mbega as the king says, you know, this is weird because you guys aren't in the book. You guys, I mean, you guys are in the book, but you never actually meet each other. So how could you even have this relationship that doesn't make sense? And they're like, oh, we know each other and we know each other. Which I think we've, we've talked about that kind of whether Arya knows people in, or Ortega knows people in that way. But apparently she does. It, it did occur to me in that moment. I, it's funny because they they certainly have established that a couple of the characters are at, at least um, bisexual, if not pansexual. I think it would be an amazing move to have basically everybody in the show be that. Just to, just to be like, yeah. Um, no the, money, the, no money. And in the no future, rules, yeah. we are not hung up on any of this stuff. Everybody is everything. Yeah, that's true. Wouldn't that be amazing? Yeah, yeah that would be. That would be. It, just, it, it occurred to me in that moment, because I know we already established that... Um, a couple of the characters talked about their dating pasts in previous episodes, and it seems like there's some, yeah, definitely some bi or pansexuality in there. I was just like, it would be so fantastic if, if over the course of the series, everybody has a number of different relationships, and it's never an issue. I, I just love that concept. Right. Smash cut to engineering, where um, Hammer is saying, talking about, the, he's examining what's going on, and he, and he, he gets, he, he's examining the the uh, the what's going on with the nebula and he, he sort of says it, it's almost like there's a single like a life form out there but i can't find any any sort of being it's almost like there's a sentient life form out there because he's talking about the the telepathic messages he got as well and um so he says like yeah it's there's like a, a single being out there with without any corporeal body and and uh una says like a god and uh because they're all like you know they're all stuck in the the not not, not understanding science kind of thing and and uh so 
um, Hammer says to Omega, do you know what a Boltzmann rain is? And uh, it's a spontaneous consciousness, this theory that, you know, things will all come together and, you know, you'll get this this consciousness happening. And uh, you sort of think that that may be what's going on. And this consciousness, you know, is getting into everybody's brain and, you know, upping their dopamine and, and making them think and imagine. And I'm, I, I don't know how this consciousness is actually, you know, basically creating fabrics and stuff like that, but apparently it is. And that's why none of the crew know who they are kind of thing. And um, so he sort of says, well, you know, now that I think about it, this this kind of fits in with what I was telling my daughter about the fact that she could write her own story. So maybe the, maybe this story isn't coming from my brain. It's coming from hers, right, or her memories, right? And so they go, hmm, that's interesting. And so they, they end up smash cut over to the uh, med- the uh, sick bay. And Ortega walks up to the, uh, explaining to everybody that he's, his daughter is in the buffer. And he goes over to the transporter buffer and he opens up, uh, opens up the, the file, the, the finder. And, and it says, file not found, file not found. And actually makes that sound that everybody knows from Windows and Mac when you try and look for something. And it, the backup isn't there. Oh, no. And uh, he realizes that the, uh, she's been beamed out of the buffer at 8.45 this morning, which is probably about the time, I guess, that, that Ortega hit the button and, and the impulse but impulse engine went boink um and so you know he's sort of talking about how you know his daughter's been beamed out and they have no idea where she could have gone and uh meanwhile pollux has been sent back down pollux who's spock has been sent back down to find these guys and uh by the queen and so he's sort of standing around the corner in in uh sick bay and, and uh overhears him and goes back to her, her or the queen and says you know he's he's figured out that the mercury stone is a girl so the queen swears, well, I'll take her for my own and, you know, then they won't have her anymore and that'll, that'll fix them. And then, of course, they're talking about, the thing I forget to mention in the beginning of, of the story is that when he's talking to his daughter, she's like, you know, I'd, I'd like to see more than this chair and read this book. If, at one point, he goes, well, where would you want to go? She says, well, I want to go see where you live. You're, I want to see your quarters. I want to see where you hang out, kind of thing. So when he's trying to figure out where she could have gone in the... Uh, in the in this this when she got beamed out, he he thinks well maybe she was she went to my quarters right. So they head down to Ambiguous quarters, and as they get there, of course they get cornered again by the queen and her entourage. And and uh, meanwhile, um, Sir Roth, played by Pike, has you know turned on them because he gets captured by uh, by some so by the guard and taken to the queen. And he you know he says you know please don't kill me, please don't kill me, I'm allergic to pain kind of thing. And they go, well, if you swear your allegiance to me, I'll, I'll, you know, let you live. And he's, of course, he immediately kneels and bows to the queen. And so, so he now meets them in the hallway. And as the, as Embega uh, is about to open, he gives a command to open the, the door to his uh, chambers. Uh, Pike pulls a knife on him and, and holds it to his neck. And of course, the queen and her entourage show up in the hallway, and it's another standoff. And and uh, at one point, uh, Hammer says, you know, well, I shall, you know, I'm a wizard. I shall. I'll fix the situation. And he holds up one hand. He, he's picked up a, tri, a tricorder in medical bay, holds up in one hand, holds it up in one hand and kind of goes, abracadabra and pushes a button. And the entire bad guys gets beamed off to cargo bay 12. So they basically gets rid of them that way. Right. And he goes, once again, science has prevailed. And <laughs> so they head over to the, they had, go into the, uh, uh, and tells, tells Aria to, to guard, uh, guard his quarters. And of course, she gladly does that with, you know, with her life. She'll guard the quarters. And so he goes inside. He sees his daughter dressed as like a little, you know, sort of, you know, princely princess uh, outfit kind of thing with her hair all done and that kind of stuff. And 
Anyway, so he's, he goes over to see her and all that kind of stuff, and he just happens to have the tricorder in his hand, so he starts scanning her and realizes that she's she's got no signs of the uh, signochemia, and uh, you're healthy, and um, I'm just I'm laughing because I'm looking at my spelling of, of things that autocorrect has got your, Y-O-R-E, health. You're healthy. She says, well, my friend may be better. You know, my, my you know, she's been, been um, talking to him, and, and uh, he's like, well, did you have fun? And you know, yeah, I, you know, he says, you know, you need, you need to tell your friend that, you know, she needs to stop doing this because you're hurting all my friends there. You know, she needs to put everything back the way it was kind of. Thing. So at one point, Hummer comes up, Hammer comes up and says, well, perhaps I can be of assistance. And, you know, he can let, he can let his guard down on his telepathy. And he, he says to uh, the daughter, can you tell your friend that I want to, he could, she can talk to me and talk through me and have a conversation kind of thing, but please be gentle. And so he, you know, so the entity takes over Hammer's body and he starts talking to, to Embega uh, and it's sort of one of those, you know, echoey male, female kind of Darth Vader voices like we have in an episode we may talk about later. But anyway, so, so like more than one voice uh, speaking the same lines at the same time. And, and the entity says, you know, you must not take the child, right? You know, I have to protect the child. She needs to stay here kind of thing. And, and, um, uh, the little girl tells her dad, well, she's, you know, I noticed that she was like me. She's lonely she's here in, in space by herself. And, and so we've been playing and, uh, the, uh, the entity says, you know, I, I searched around the ship and I found your daughter, you know, imprisoned by you in your machine. And, um, he's like, well, my, my crew can't live like this. They're, they're not, they're, they're gonna, they're gonna, you need to let us go and, and we'll leave. And well, if you leave, your daughter's going to die because I'm, I'm basically maintaining her health right now. And, and, if you leave, she's gonna she's gonna revert back to being even even sicker than she was before. So you must choose between your child or the ship, which is a, similar to the same choice as the King Ridley has in the uh, in the story earlier, right? Um, or she can stay. You know, typical Star Trek trope. She can stay here. We'll maintain her, just like in the menagerie, right? And uh, she can live, right? Kind of thing, right? Um, which is interesting, you know, I, I often wonder about that. You know how in, in the, uh, let's just a sidebar here for a sec, you know, in the, in the, mena- in the menagerie or the, the cage, right? Yep. Um, and the pilot, the pilot called menagerie and the mm-hmm. cage, the cages, which is which the cage is the original, the pilot and the menagerie is the two-parter. Yes. I believe that is the case. Right. And so, so in the, I gotta go back and watch the original cage because at the very end of it, you know, in the end of the menagerie, you see, um, Jeffrey Hunter as as Christopher Pike goes and lives with Luna yep. for the rest of his life, right? Um, and the theor- the story is that Pike gets you know badly burned and with radiation, which is we where this story is going towards. And because um, they must have filmed that at the same time, I have to go. Like I can't remember the end of the cage now. That I think about it. Like does he does the uh, Christopher Pike character actually decide to stay on the the planet, right? Because you know they put Luna back to being a, a beautiful young girl, and right, yeah. and he goes up the thing. So, hmm, thinks that because it doesn't seem to fit with the pilot. But anyway, this is interesting, interesting sidebar. Anyway, so very similar to that, you know, uh, stay here, and you know we can we can ma- basically take care of her and that kind of stuff. And and uh, so uh, he decides, you know, that he, basically, you know, this is like the Mercury Stone. He has to he has to if he wants to keep the Mercury Stone. Uh, he realizes the king realized that he couldn't keep the Mercury Stone in, in the story because he found out that the Mercury Stone actually had a soul and it was killing him, killing the stone to be captured captured by 
or held captive by uh, King Ridley, even though that made him that gave him his powers and made him a great, great king. So he decides to let the stone go in the story. So he, in in this, in parallel here, Omega decides to let his daughter go and go off and live with the entity and and have a life and grow and all that kind of stuff and be be uh, safe. And so he decides to yes, like like the Mercury story, he lets it go. And he tells his daughter, you know, no, maybe you can go off and write your own your own adventures, write your own stories, kind of thing. And of course, so then the you know we get the the special effect where almost like a transporter, the entity wraps around the daughter, and she says it tickles daddy, and she gets beamed off, and then Kess goes to live with the, you know, the aliens <laughs> and the kind of stuff. Oh, sorry, uh, wrong story. Um, so Ryuki, Ryuki, anyway, like five minutes later, not even like a minute and a half later. Uh, Rukia comes back and she's all grown back, grown up. And she's and she says, "Hi, Daddy. Like, nice to see you, kind of thing." And uh, you're right. I, I I did have a great time. I went off and created my own adventures. And and he's like, "But you look like you know you just left like a minute ago." And she says, "Well, it's a minute ago for you, but for me, it's been like you know twenty years or thirty years or whatever." And Deborah and I have been you know having all these fab- fabulous stories. And of course, you know he's all teary because you know she named. The entity after her mother, Deborah, right? So you look like her, he tells her, and and uh, and uh, you know she says, well, you know, you can go off and live your own life now. You don't have to worry about me. I'm I'm happy here doing. You know, this is you're right. This worked. It, it was a great idea to do this, right? And then she so she she beams back out and and joins the uh, the entity at space in the Aurora, and uh, of course, you know, Hammer now says, oh, I have the worst headache, <laughs> you know, and he's like why am I in your quarters, you know? And, and uh, then the beggar realizes, he says, you don't remember what happened? And he goes, no, the last thing I remember was we were trying to leave the nebula and I you know, couldn't figure out why we can get a warp bubble going. And so it turns out that, that not only can um, Hammer can't remember, nobody remembers the five hours of what happened during this whole ordeal. Good thing nobody... Good thing Ordega didn't stab anybody, right? Well, I think it's um, for the best because Naan would have killed herself if she had seen how she was. Oh, I forgot to talk about Laan. <laughs> Laan, La- yeah, Laan. Oh, I forgot about her. Oh my god, she was so good. This is this was uh, that. Yeah, I can't believe I can forgot this part of the story because she was the best. She looked like Jennifer Garner, like a short Jennifer Garner. Yeah, she looked right? like a little like a fairy princess. She was hilarious, and she had the whole English accent, and she was singing, and you know, like completely out of character and the most for... over-the-top huge dress on with the puppy yeah. oh and I, I looked on her social network that's her dog apparently yeah. oh really and her real dog yeah. and yeah yeah runa runa named after my sister <laughs> there you go <laughs> yeah so runa the dog yeah, for, totally for, I, was, I, I was as i because i watched this in pieces i watched part of it this morning at lunch and i watched part of it before i had to go work on my car so i had to watch a bit before dinner and then you know then i took a break and then i came back and finished so i totally forgot about yeah that I was going to say, yeah, that that was one of the best parts of the show was was her performance for sure, definitely worth. It. I don't, uh, she doesn't show up in the in the end of the story anyway, but uh, yeah, it was cool. And um, but yeah, like definitely that that was one of the one of the lights of of this episode. I, I really didn't like uh, Anson Mount's character in this one, but you know it's funny because when I think about it, like he played Colin Bohannon in in Hell on Wheels, and completely different character than than even Pike, right? So yeah, if you, if you haven't seen Hell on Wheels, check that one out. Um, cause he's unrecognizable. He's more like sort of a Clint Eastwood kind of guy, like a, you know, real gruff, you know, never showers kind of guy, right? Like, you know, building a railroad kind of thing. Anyway. So yeah. So in the personal log, he's talking about how nobody remembers this thing. And then, uh, Una comes up to him and she's like talking to him and she realizes that he remembers, he's the only one that remembers what was going on in, in the, uh, 
last five hours. I don't recall at the end if he tells, if he starts telling anybody about it, but, um, you know, he talk, tells Una that his daughter's gone, she's happy, and she's, you know, alive, and she's safe, and so on and so forth, and that's kind of where the show ends up. The end. Little fairy tale ending. It's sad that that nebula gets turned into the Genesis planet by Khan, but... <laughs> I'm kidding on that one. It's a different one, but <laughs> that would have been the extra dark <laughs> callback. Well, there were there were a lot of callbacks in this one, like the whole Kess thing, the the uh, naked time, as I mentioned before. You know, even even the one where like the the shore leave where they run around and they're all dressed as knights and stuff like that, and and also it reminded me it's it's almost like this is their mirror universe episode, right? Because they seem to be following parallels in terms of this is only the eighth episode of the season or of the series, but you know, they seem to be following sort of the the Star Trek tropes, but without getting too campy, right? Do you think it's so? These kind of episodes are a Trek tradition. Not my favorite part of Trek tradition, I will be honest. Where you know, yeah, they they do things like obviously taking characters like Lon and making her ridiculous and over the top, and and it, it's again, it's a tradition to do these kinds of episodes. I, I gotta admit, I didn't love them in the original series. I didn't love them in any of the other series. I, and this was my least favorite of the episodes so far. It wasn't a bad yeah, episode. Yeah, it just yeah. I thought they had set a really high bar. So it's, it wasn't a bad episode. It just wasn't my favorite so far. Um, and an interesting way to sort of resolve this storyline. I didn't know how long they were going to sort of take with the Dr. Mbenga's daughter trapped in the transport buffer. I didn't know if that was going to be a sort of a, a season one arc or if that was going to last for a long, long time. It's interesting that they've sort of gone from the revelation to the conclusion of her, that storyline. And when did we first meet her? Like the third episode? So like really five episodes is all it's sort of been like this little story that's come and gone. Um I guess it's kind of good that it resolved itself fairly quickly. And I guess they do that in case they weren't going to get a second season or whatever. But maybe, yeah. Well, they they only have a finite amount of time before the raider. The um, raider. Well, five years they said right before the the accident. Well, I thought it was ten. Wasn't it ten? Is it ten? Oh, yeah. I'm not sure. Yeah, but but it, yeah, it's interesting because like this is what I was talking about in the in the original series because you know they have all these episodes where they meet um, these alien super entities like where it's like one big brain or the cloud or or sometimes it's a flying fry egg, right, kind of thing. Um, and they have these, you know, more science-y sort of science fiction-y kind of pulp fiction stories, right? Not as not as accessible as, like, you know, running around with gangsters or, or uh, fascist governments and that kind of stuff. They do those ones, too, or even the primitive, you know, Americans kind of episodes. But, but the sort of ones where it's just an entity that's out there. And like Trelane, it's almost reminding of the Trelane episode mm. where... I want to play with you. You're my playthings, and then they find out that Trillane is actually this this um, misbehaving, super like Q kind of kid, right? Like a young Q or whatever that can transform uh, material, right? So, yeah, or the one where the two aliens and the one comes shows up as a cat, that the cat turns yep. into this beautiful woman, and you know those kind of stories that they did in in the '60s series, which were like, if you think about it in retrospect, way over the top. Because you know, I don't know did in the next generation, they had the one. The one episode, one of my favorite episodes, is the one where Pi, uh, uh, Picard goes off and lives an entire different life. Like a, a probe takes over his brain, and he he remembers having this life, and you know has a whole beginning, middle, and an end, and and dies at the end, and then then wakes up on the Enterprise, yeah, yep. and yet he can play the song on the flute, kind of thing that he learned yep. over those years. That's it's sort of akin to that episode too, or or any of the Q episodes, I guess too, right? But um, 
again, like I, like I, um, I, I enjoy these because they're refreshing breaks, I think, right? I mean, you're not meant to take them too seriously, although this one did have a resolution for the daughter. I thought it was a little too convenient that she was fixed at the end. I thought, you know, what are we going to have, like, a 10-year-old kid running around with them now on the ship after this is over? And But then, of course, they, they, they had the, you know, the Kess hook that they could use to send her off into a different buffer. Yeah. <laughs> you know? But even the Kess, the Kess storyline was kind of weird when she kind of grew up all of a sudden and yeah. disappeared. Grew right? up and was never heard from again. Yeah, not even at conventions? I don't know. I mean, <laughs> yeah, maybe. I don't know. She she was just clearly not a loved, not a loved character in that circumstance. A little, little different. Yeah. 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 No, I mean, again, even the bad ones are good, I think, in this series. There's lots of fun performances. There's lots, there's lots of little fun little moments. And, and yeah... It, as I say, it's it's it is a tradition, right? It is as weird as this episode was. It really felt in tone with classic, you know, vintage Trek and TNG and and and, right? Yeah. Well, even Aurora getting to be Captain Tilly in a sense, right? You know. Yeah. Yeah. Because Tilly in the mirror universe is a completely different person than she is in in the normal universe, mm-hmm. whichever mm-hmm. universe we're in, right? Yeah. No. You know, I don't. I think it's a. Uh, Eight out of ten, you know. Like you said, it's not you're not a great Star Trek, but it but it was enjoyable. I I could watch it again. Although you know, I wonder if knowing the story, if if uh, if it holds up as well. You know, going through it again, it's a bit like Game of Thrones too, right? Yeah, yeah. Or the Scarlet Pimpernel, or what have you. Cool. All right, let's move. Are we going to uh, Obi Wan Kenobi, or are we go to Miss Marvel? No, next? we'll do Obi Wan. Right off to Obi Wan Kenobi Land. Yeah, the uh, the final sixth part of this series we have um reva out there on tatooine wait what's it called what's it called part six part six part vr Star Wars <laughs> obi-wan kenobi part six is probably the full title um so yeah you got uh, reva out there looking for owen on tatooine uh, you recall from the last time because bail organa has bad sec ops or secure security ops um meanwhile you've got obi-wan you know on the uh, the escaping ship that it's getting wrecked real hard by Vader's star destroyer. We split over to uh, Luke and Owen getting some uh, some spare parts and the guy selling from uh, you know the the I don't know it's like a junk shop I guess or or maybe it's like a a Radio Shack kind of shop. He's like, hey man, like Owen, you you, you need to know something because there's like people looking for you and it doesn't seem good, right? Switching back over to Obi Wan, he's like. Hey, you know what? I'm just gonna take like a little shuttle. Um, Vader will chase me. They'll leave you all alone. Uh, the rest of you all need to to keep going on, especially because he wants um, Aja to return Leia back home, right? So the idea is to to split the attention, knowing that you know if Obi Wan sacrifices himself here to get Vader to to chase him, then the other folks have a chance to escape. Can I Maybe. can I just interject sure. something really quickly, Jaime? Okay, so the very first thing we see in Star Wars, the original movie, is a Star Destroyer chasing the blockade runner, and the blockade runner is supposed to be this like super fast ship, and it shoots it, and it stops it, and then they catch it, and then they attack the ship. Okay. In every other thing we've ever seen a Star Destroyer do, and across all of the different things, they're useless. Like, they are <laughs> freaking useless. Like... 
have they ever made a shot? It's like, are the same stormtroopers firing the cannons on these things? Yeah, it's definitely, they should take the helmets off and focus, like, right? They are right behind this evading vessel. And it's, you know, sure, it's weaving back and forth. But it's supposed to be a quote-unquote Star Destroyer. It's this huge, heavily armed, massive, powerful ship. They miss every single shot. They, they hit it like one time. <laughs> and then Darth Vader says, shoot twice as many. Yeah, they increase, <laughs> yeah, increase the number of shots. So like, how about maybe like release 500 TIE... Like, every, throw the kitchen sink at this thing. Like, how bad are these guys? Well, can't, can't Vader just sort of reach out and pull the ship back? Yeah, <laughs> like, I don't know. It, it just This whole scene, it just struck me as I was watching this. I'm like, you know, these green bolts, right? The, the Empire has these green bolts that go flying. These beautiful green special effects. I'm like... Damn, like, how bad a shot are everybody in the Empire? <laughs> Sorry, continue. No, I think that that's a fair point. Um, I wonder if the Empire's uh, capital ship design is built more to fight other capital ships. Because it does seem like, you know, if you look at other things like Return of the Jedi, when they have smaller fighters flying around them, they're not very good at aiming at those. But the, yeah. The the calamari ships are like scared to get close. Yeah, wouldn't they have a pile of of uh, tie fighters inside or other vehicles that they could send out, perhaps? Yeah, that that I think would have been a viable option to go uh, to go harass. Maybe maybe Jonathan. Maybe they have to send. Uh, they have to get permission from the vice president, you know, to allow them to start sending the fight starts the, the fighters out. They have to get you know they, it's, it's an <laughs> enterprise, right? So they have to get like permission from senior management to be able to. You know, use the resources that they have right at hand. I guess. You know, this is like a decade before. Maybe this is a, a Star Destroyer that was taken off the line too early and the, the TIE fighters are being installed on Friday. Or maybe it's built by Boeing. Tuesday. Yeah. <laughs> it's built by Boeing. <laughs> wow. Drive by on Boeing. Rough time. Oh, they used guys. to work for Boeing. <laughs> rough time. Um, speaking of rough times. Uh, Owen tells Baru it's about to get bad, right? And she uh, she's pretty baller. She's like, "All right, let's go get the guns, right?" <laughs> she like, yeah, yeah. She's got the little hidey hole already. Yeah. yeah, she's like, "I've been packing heat secretly here for for this reason." Yeah, you notice that third third pipe that was coming out of the wall. Guess what? Yeah. <laughs> uh, we do have a little bit of a moment before uh, Obi Wan leaves, where he gives Leia the holster from Tala. So yeah, he's like. She would have wanted you to have this. And she's like, what about the blaster? He's like, I'm not giving the kid a gun. Are you crazy? <laughs> <laughs> yep. And, uh, and Kenobi bails out. And uh, Darth Vader's like, we need to go follow him. And Inquisitor is not following that logic. Like, are, are, are you serious? We're going to follow one dude? We can go follow these guys and figure out where this resistance is coming from. And uh, at least he knows how to snap in line when Vader's like, nope, we're not doing that. We're following following obi-wan so he he does roll his eyes though if you watch him yeah he's like, like can't okay see me eyes. <laughs> i'm facing away from him <laughs> yeah but vader, vader can feel him rolling his I'm eyes with the force <laughs> mine just played by Caden christensen so that that tells you about how perceptive vader is right? <laughs> uh, so owen and Baru's uh cover story for luke to keep him trying to you know in the dark as much as possible they're like very racist against the Tuscans saying, hey, guess what? They're, yeah. they're, they're causing a ruckus again and you're going to have to go Yeah, hide. they are. 
at that moment, I, in the moment, I was like, wow, that's kind of a nasty thing to blame on the Tuscans. And then I went online and people were like, whoa, racist. <laughs> no wonder Luke doesn't like them in the other one, right? Yeah, like, and I get it. Like, you know, sure, certainly we've established through even Book of Boba Fett that there are some Tuscan tribes that are very aggressive and what. But damn, like, it's just like, you know, we're in a bad neighborhood. Roll up your windows. Like, oh, my God, Owen, come on, man. That's the way he rolls. <laughs> So, just when uh, you think that guy's going to redeem himself, he just throws himself back into the gutter. Yeah, yeah. Uh, you know, Kenobi lands on the planet. Vader wants to face him alone. Where they're setting up for the the thrilla in Manila, and that's going to get <laughs> interspersed with uh, Riva fighting the the farmers, right? Owen and Baru. So there's there's not a lot to talk about plot wise here, but there it's a pretty cool fight that we see for uh, Obi Wan and and Darth Vader. Um, yeah, pretty good. Yeah. Including, you know, the, the use of, of throwing a bunch of rocks and, and fighting over the rocks and stuff. Um, Anakin apparently deciding that if I can't get the high ground, I'll just put you on lower ground. And therefore, I have the <laughs> high ground. <laughs> might bury you. I'm like, wow, that's, uh, that's, that's some good learning there. And again, no double tap. We'll, we'll, we'll get there. We're almost there in terms of the description, right? So Luke, you know, ends up having to run away because Reva's getting closer, even though she's fighting uh, Owen and Baru. Um, we got a kind of a cool, I, I didn't get the exact quote here, but basically Kenobi apologizing to Anakin. I see, uh, I think he had already slashed him at this point, right? Like he'd, he'd given him the gash on his, uh, on his head in this part of the yep. fight. Yeah. Well, no. He initially doesn't. He doesn't. He he buries him. Like Vader buries him in the rocks and then walks away. Oh, that's the double right? tap that you were talking about. I thought you were talking about the later one. Yeah. Like why not? Like wouldn't you just like throw a, like a, one of those little round bomb things in the into the hole just to make sure or whatever? Yeah. But again, is that is that Obi Wan genuinely think or is that Anakin genuinely thinking that he's killed him or is that just him trying to humiliate him, trying to sort of break him? Because uh, I didn't get the impression in that moment that he thought, like, well, that's over with. I, I got the impression he was thinking, oh, well, that's, you know, that's going to put him in his place. I, I didn't think he was necessarily yet, thought he was killing what him. What do they moment. practice lifting all the time with their force powers? Uh, rocks. Is it rocks? Yeah. <laughs> anyway. Yeah. So yep. you, you do end up with the, the cool uh, sort of Obi-Wan beat down, the slash on the face, particularly of, of Vader. So he's got the cracked open... Uh, helmet the gash on the on the head uh he, kenobi apologizing to, to anakin and anakin saying like you you didn't kill anakin skywalker i did right so kind of he, he truly has failed him and, and that's where they do the double voice you hear hayden christensen and james old jones at the same time yeah it was it's a neat effect cool. yeah, yeah yeah that was that was a cool one i like that and uh obi-wan man he he's just got his style of like leaving people with one HP of one hit point. <laughs> just said, peace out, mission accomplished. I'm like, are you serious? Like, he's wheezing over there. He's like, not looking too good. Maybe you should uh, take him out. But no, that's not the way they roll there. But that's, I mean, it, it does tie back into the later part of the episode, too, because he talks about mercy, right? Like, mercy is the Jedi way. Mercy is the way. And so his, his decision to not kill Darth Vader 
in, in the same way that it was for not necessarily killing Anakin was mm. that he was showing mercy. Now, I don't know that it's mercy to leave a guy on the banks of a lava river to catch on fire. Maybe that's just me. But I, I guess his point is, is that the Jedi don't double tap. The Jedi show mercy. So, yeah. So I, ha- I have a qu- one question at this point in time. Where are the rest of the Jedi now? Uh, a bunch of them are uh, disposing their lightsabers and going off to hide in other places. The rest of them are dead? Well, no, they're not. Like, at this point, some of them have escaped. No, but I'm saying the majority yeah. of what happened to the majority of... They they were so merciful, merciful, they got chopped in half, most of them, right? Yes, this is true. <laughs> okay. Anyway, it does tie into the... It, it does tie into what happens with Reva as we continue uh, the, the, the recap, too, right? About the idea of mercy. Sure spoilers keep going yeah it, it does go there because you know reva's chasing luke he does end up getting conked out takes a little nap in the dirt but it's not a dirt nap that's important because kenobi's gonna have to to race to save him and and reva just can't bring herself to finish the job right so she ends up you know leaving luke with Owen. when she flashes and sees herself as a youngling instead of him right when she's trying to yeah, yeah. You just see, like, him in. like it's it's one thing to just kill, you know, like adults. Like clearly, she was okay with that sort of concept. But you know, taking out a kid is pretty tough in normal circumstances. Much less if you've encountered a trauma as a child yourself. She does end up leaving him with Owen and Baru, kind of like a like a found puppy with his his concussion. And um, in this case, sort of failing is freedom, right? So he's hypothetically failed at getting her revenge. On Anakin Skywalker, Darth Vader, she's failed at, uh, you know, taking out uh, the kiddos, at taking out Kenobi. But it it does, I think, to your point, Jonathan, it, the failure gives her freedom. Yeah, yeah, and, and, and in showing mercy, she she does sort of to a very small extent, and we can talk about this when we finish the recap. But to a small extent, it is her redemption. However. Uh, We'll circle back to whether or not that small act constitutes redemption for all of what she's done to get to this point. So, carry on. Yeah, I think we'll find out in the uh, in the in the book of Riva coming out in two thousand twenty-four. Let's see, where was I here? Uh, so y- you've got kind of the last what ten, maybe fifteen minutes that are kind of the the, the wrap it up and get us to where we need to be. Uh, not quite hold my beer. I think the pacing was pretty decent on this part. I think because yep. they gave it a good chunk, it wasn't like the last five minutes. But you do end up with uh, Vader uh, sulking in his castle and, and, and Palpatine having issues and doubts around, like, wh- where's your mindset here? You know, are, are you going to be uh, obsessed with this, this one guy? Or are you going to continue doing what I need you to do and stay in line? Right? Are, are you defective or not is sort of the, the point I got out of there. So. We, we set up that part of the relationship and that status for, you know, coming up on Star Wars A New Hope. We have uh, Leia back on Alderaan and she's, you know, prepping. She's got kind of a, a kiddo version of her, her classic outfit. Her mom digs the holster, which I think she had. Uh, oh, she doesn't yet. She doesn't yet. I'll get there. Uh, Bail Organa is there. And I wrote my note here. Did, did he bail out? Mr. Train? <laughs> I must have missed the statement as to where he was this whole time. Cause wasn't he supposed to be on his way to Tatooine? That was like the whole point of him sending the, the ill-advised message, right? He just thought the message would be enough. I was like, Oh, okay. Uh, nevertheless, Kenobi does arrive. So here's a nice little reunion with, uh, with Leia and he returns uh, 
the, the Lola droid. And I think this is where Lola ends up in the in the holster, right? She fits very happily in there. And uh, that, that's to sell action figures later on. Oh, yeah, definitely. It's like a kid's set that you could see with that, right? Yeah. And they have kind of the question of like, you know, what are you going to do now? Are you going to go become a hermit for a while? Set your plan? And it, it, it kind of is. <laughs> um, even though Obi-Wan doesn't really reveal everything about Leia's parentage, she does tell her that like your, your, your mother and your father, you know, I know them, I knew them, and they made you who you are, right? You got your, your wisdom from one, you got your passion from the other. They do need to keep Kenobi a secret, though, because he's uh, he's going to head back home, go to some new digs, uh, decides to end up go and then talk to Owen. And uh, Owen has a, uh, why are you here? What the hell's going on? And ultimately says, hey, do you want to do you want to talk to the boy? Do you want to meet him? And this is where old Ben Kenobi meets Luke. And he does the the whole thing that everybody wanted. The, uh, the hello there meme uh, comes to life there. So he does meet Luke. Goes back, you know, over to his his uh, new home in the desert, and sees Qui Gon Jinn, who's like very happy that he's finally at a place where they can talk again. Right? That, that Obi Wan is ready now. Uh, perhaps he's uh, gotten past some of his trauma and gotten some closure out of this, and he's ready to go build a mud hut in the top of the Jedlin Waste. <laughs> yeah, I did uh, the the scene you just mentioned, Jaime, where he is talking with Leia on Alderaan, and he says, you know, that you know the Obi Wan thing is going to have to, make, you know, the the fact that you know who I am is going to have to remain a secret. I think they put that line in there so that that would explain the message from A New Hope, right? Help me, Obi Wan Kenobi, you're my only hope. But years ago, you worked for my father during the Clone Wars. I think the reason why she's saying it very sort of formally like that is because she's trying not to spoil his secret in case the droid gets intercepted. Right. Yeah. Oh, yeah. yeah. I'm, I'm okay with that. I'm, I'm, I'm happy with that. Yeah. I mean, um, it seems like they were trying to close the loop on a couple of different things in this episode. Some of it worked, some of it didn't, but, um, yeah. It, it, okay. Can we circle back to Riva? Because it's such a challenging position to try and create a new character and have that person get in between characters like Obi-Wan Kenobi and Darth Vader. It's a, it's a fool's errand. It's, it's, I almost feel bad for as much as exposure was good, as much as the performance was good. It really is hard to make that character good and useful and valuable and interesting and everything else because they're fighting against these entrenched you know, characters that are so iconic, but her arc is she was brutalized as a child. She got captured by the inquisitors. She got tortured, became an inquisitor, but always held on to her blaming of Anakin and Obi-Wan for what happened to the younglings. She was waiting for the right opportunity to, to finally betray Vader, work her, work her way in there and betray Vader. But in order to do that, she was a monster. She hurt people. She killed people. You'll recall she chops off somebody's hands in a few episodes back. Uh, you know, she's she's not a not a good person. She's she's a genuine, you know, POS. She's she's not a good person. And then she, in the most ill-advised moment of of Star Wars in the la- in the most recent future or most recent past, it, she 
waits until the ship has already like taken off and Vader's standing there to run up behind him with a lightsaber, turn it on so he could hear it like he wouldn't sense her anyways and try and whack him in the back and then gets her butt handed to her, gets run through, loses her Grand Inquisitor badge and they leave her for dead. She's like, wow, that plan of mine that I spent years trying to do completely failed. But now I've found this little tracker. So what I'm going to do now is, even though I've gut hurt, I'm not going to take the time to heal. I'm going to go straight to Tatooine. To what end? Like, what? what's her goal? She's already betrayed Vader. Like, what was her end game? Her end game was kill Luke? I don't get it. What was her... like? And then in the end, she sees she sees herself as a youngling being pursued by the evil, you know, person with the lightsaber and therefore she can't, you know, kill Luke and she returns Luke and is therefore redeemed. Like, no, you were still a monster and you came to this planet ostensibly to kill a child for no reason at all at this point. It's not like you would get brownie points back with Vader or anything like what was the end game here? I don't know. Yeah, maybe just to get to get underneath uh, Obi Wan's skin or whatever. Like, uh, but again, she's but already, why? She's already like, Obi Wan brought know, Vader to her. What's the point? Yeah, exactly. Well, and it, it's interesting too. I also read a headline today, and I was going to bring that up, and and maybe this could double dovetail that. And somebody had compared her to Jar Jar Binks. Ooh, that's hard. that's like, a rush. Like, bit of a hard. <laughs> yeah, but you're just sort of just sort of like what what's the point really? Like you know like. Yeah, it's an interesting. It's it, I kind of wondered how they were gonna how they were gonna solve this, and and the whole sort of like you know the mission of Obi Wan Kenobi is to get Leia back to Organa, right? And yet he does this left turn and goes goes to Tatooine, and you know like that, like just leaves her like with a a, a fake Jedi and a liar, right? I mean there were there were some. I mean as much as we love you know you and McGregor. There were some story story parts, and, and especially in this episode, that just meant like we're we're weak. Like Vader crushes um, Obi Wan, and because of the prequels, or because it's a prequel, we know Obi Wan's going to come out unscarred. Yeah, <laughs> you know. Yep. Uh, you know, because because even as as the piles or rocks are piling on top of him, Vader throwing more rocks on top, right? You know, and then there's a scene where a few minutes later, where this time it's. Um, Obi-Wan Kenobi throwing ro- boulders, not rocks, but throwing boulders at, de- at Vader to, to defeat him, right? And, you know, ends up chopping his, his mask in half and, and uh, again, leaving him. It's, it's kind of like, I don't know, if, if um, it's very un-American, you know? Like in, in American movies, when the, bad, when the good guy gets the bad guy in his sights, he pulls the trigger, you know? Yeah, I, I don't know. I... I, I enjoyed this episode. I thought, you know, we talked about how these Disney Plus series have a tough time sticking the landing. I think this was one of the better efforts, uh, given that we had sort of built up to, you know, possibly this this second showdown between Obi-Wan and, and Vader. And I think that delivered in, in pretty yeah, impressive fashion. It was one of the better lightsaber duels we've ever seen in in, in live action Star Wars. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I thought the cutting the mask thing for the larger audience, I think, was good. I found it too reminiscent of uh, the episode uh, Yeah, of but Rebels. did you see it coming? Didn't you see totally, it coming? Totally, totally did. But they yeah. already did that thing when Ahsoka faces Vader in Rebels. That mm-hmm. exact thing happens. And it's a 
brilliant scene. That's one of the best Star Wars things I've ever seen is that episode of, of Rebels, where Ahsoka faces Vader, realizing who he is and and the emotion mm-hmm. of that and everything. An amazing episode of television. And have the exact same moment. She she slices his mask and she can see his face underneath and see his eyes. And so it, for me, lost a lot of the impact of that because of that. Now, I thought the fact that he was speaking with that sort of mixed Hayden slash mm-hmm. uh, or James Earl Jones voice, I thought was really interesting. But it's still yeah. the fact that we had already seen that exact play play out in a Star Wars thing. Now, I realize that the mass multitude wouldn't have seen that necessarily. So that's why I felt like they could go to that again. But I don't think it was as well done as it could have been. Well, the only reason I knew they were going to do it was because you had to know it was Hayden Christensen on the helmet, right? Sure, sure. And and and, yeah. and and just for Obi-Wan to actually see his face under there and how messed up he looks and everything else. Again, that's part of the mercy, yeah. right? That's that's why he, mm-hmm. he looks at him in that moment and he realizes I need to show him mercy. But uh, again, you know, we talk about these outcomes, you know, what was Reva's endgame. Obi-Wan is ostensibly multiple times now responsible for the atrocities caused by Vader. Vader doesn't go back to his castle and sit there for 10 years and then all of a sudden show up on the Death Star. He kills multitudes of people. You know, even in this series, we watched him mercilessly kill a a young boy when he's trying to rush to his father's aid. Like, this is not a good dude. And yes, Mercy, of course, is a Jedi, you know, way and everything else. But, I mean, this this is Batman and the Joker, right? Like, if you kill him once, you save infinite numbers of lives and of course you lose something in in the act of killing but boy it's hard to justify it's really hard to justify that's what i'm saying like but the the lack of double tap here right you mean like like you know vader on obi-wan and then obi-wan on vader like why don't they finish the the job Mm -hmm. you know i mean as much as i'm not for corporal punishment you know like as a story, like you would think, like the 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 hero always runs the bad guy through, right? Mm-hmm. Always, yeah. You know. All right. So this was the whole thing. We've now seen all six parts. Yeah. Did it work? I have a question. I have a question for you this time. Oh. But what do you think would have happened if, just for the sake of like good storytelling or whatever, what if what if um, in the grand scheme of things, what if Obi Wan? Had killed Vader in this in this episode. You mean like Inglorious Bastards? This thing? Yeah. Well, yeah. I mean, like uh, fake, fake, you know, fake history ending kind of thing. Yeah. Like, w- like, I mean, of course, the internet would just blow up. Well, yeah. It would be a bold it, it move, st- but yeah. Yeah, but you know what I'm saying? Like, just just for the sake of you know, hey, look, you know, this is we've now we've now messed up the timeline. We can start writing Star Wars stories in a completely different fashion now, right? Yeah, I mean, it's an interesting it's an interesting discussion. I mean, I think that's why they have that like Star Wars visionaries uh, visions or whatever, and these sort of alternate ways of approaching things. They can do those kinds of stories. I think it would have been probably a bridge too far to do it here. The Death of Robin is an example, right? Sure. I mean, you can you can do stories and then undo them too. I mean, in theory, you could have done a, uh, an ending to this where Obi Wan thinks that he's killed Vader and leaves and then Vader right. sort of pulls right. his way right. out and oh and then he comes back but again the whole point is to have the parallels between Obi-Wan showing mercy to Vader even though Vader is a monster and then Reva showing mercy on the on little Luke right not a great parallel but I, I yeah. guess I get what they were going yeah. for but uh, yeah I mean 
I think there's already so much confusion inherent in being a Star Wars fan because of the continuous need to go backwards and forwards in time. And I'm sure it's only going to get more muddled as they continue to tell more of these stories. Yeah, but to be honest with you, I don't really like, I, as much as I love Star Wars, and like I said, I'll say it a thousand times, there's no such thing as bad Star Wars. I don't know why. Why do we have to go back and keep filling these gaps? Mm-hmm. Why can't we just let them be and go tell new stories? Like, why? Like, in, as much as you hate, you know, um, Force Awakens and, and the other two, whatever they're called, Jedi something or others, but, like, um, they're new. They're not, they're not the same story. They're a continuation. Mind you, yeah, they had to drag, drag the Emperor along. I mean, I really liked... But that um, was the worst part of that, was when they, when they had to, felt like they had to go back to the well and Yeah, that's what I'm saying. Like, it. I liked Snoke. Snoke was a, was a refreshing sort of bad baddie, you know, mm-hmm. kind of thing. Mm-hmm. I thought, you know, they, at least they were going somewhere with that, right? Like, but the, him being the Emperor's puppet, that was like, oh, please, give me a break. Like, it's almost like, you know, after, I forget who did the second movie, but they, they kind of went... Because didn't they go back to J.J. Abrams for the third they one? They did. Just because it was so successful or whatever? Like, not not why, but yes. Mm-hmm. But you know what I mean? Like, like yeah, the, you know what I'm saying? Like, like for whatever reason, the people didn't like what they did in the in the second one. Um, you know, The Last Jedi, was it called? Yeah, The, the, um, La, the Last Jedi and then The Rise of Skywalker, yeah. yeah. And then, you know, and, and again, like, so, so you know, um, Rey at the end of Last Skywalker takes the manacle of Skywalker as her name. And... and great let's have some more adventures let's move on with that let's her kids do something or her grandkids or something you know like what i mean like like why do we have to keep going back and filling like i love rogue one it's a great movie but why do we need that movie well and it's funny because you know part of these things is an act to redeem right i think dave filoni and and to a a larger extent lucas films writ large is trying to rehabilitate George Lucas's decisions in, in some of these stories, right? <laughs> this series, along with, you know, Clone Wars and Bad Batch and Rebels, are to yeah. a certain extent about redeeming the prequels. Well, can I can I tell you what the, the if we talk about the first three movies, the, the part I hate about the first three movies is when Luke takes off Darth Vader's helmet and says, I see good, there's good in you, I know it. Like, it doesn't have to be good in Vader at all. Well, and again, we talked about the redemption of of Reva. Does the act of saving his son and theoretically killing the Emperor, although we now know that that's been undone, uh, does that redeem the monstrosity of his of, of his acts, killing children, what wiping out thousands, destroying entire planets, tens of thousands yeah, no. of people, like force choking administrators? Yeah, no, no, it really doesn't. Mm-hmm. It really doesn't. And I think that you know that's that's a tough that's a tough ask. It really is a tough ask. Uh, I don't know. I mean, so rumor has it, take it with a grain of salt. It's the internet that Taika Waititi's. Uh, working on a Star Wars trilogy himself, films, not show, and that he is specifically focusing on telling a new story. No existing characters, no Hmm. connecting parts, just telling another story in the Star Wars universe. How the freaking Luya, it's about time someone did that. We'll see. We'll see what happens when he gets his notes back on that one. But... (laughs) I mean, you know, it's funny because as much as people are gushing over the Mandalorian and to a a definitely much lesser case, Book of Boba Fett and are excited for Ahsoka and are excited for the the rest of the Disney Plus stuff. 
Those are all prequels, too. They are just prequels to uh, Force Awakens, The Last Jedi, and, and Rise of Skywalker. And they're doing the same thing. They're they're kind of building this groundwork around that one for the, you know, the acquisition of Force-sensitive children so that they can use their... But make them clones so that they can re- re- bring the emperor back to life. They're they're tr- almost trying to rehabilitate that final trilogy of the of the Skywalker saga. I, I I'm not sure that that's going to be ultimately satisfying if that's where they what they're end up doing with all this. Like I don't care. I don't care. Yeah, exactly. That's what. Tell I'm, me that's something like, interesting that's unique. Yeah. Just tell me a good story. But it seems like that's where they're building to, right? Like they were kidnapping Grogu because Grogu's a Force-sensitive, quote-unquote, child. He's 50. And they wanted to use him for their experiments so that they could grow the, the, the new body for the Emperor that we see in, in The Last Skywalker. Again, couldn't care less. thought it was a terrible movie. It was. I'm sorry. There's no such thing as bad Star Wars. That was pretty bad Star Wars. Uh I just I don't I don't understand the need to continually rehabilitate all this stuff and, and try and sort of No, and that's what that's what I'm saying. Like why can't we just go on why don't we just move on with this like you've got the lightsabers, you got the you know, the useless star destroyers, you've got things that can destroy planets, you know. Because nostalgia sells is the answer and it's an unfortunate answer because it's really it's the cheapest way of cashing in on on people's feelings, right? It's yeah. quite cynical mm-hmm. from a storytelling so, point so of view. So when is the sequel to Casablanca coming out? Oh, yeah, know? right? Like and when when is the sequel to Gone with the Wind coming out? I'm waiting for that one. You know, what about the pre prequel of Gone with the Wind? Like where's that one? Yeah, I if if some at someone at some point realizes there's money to be made, they'll make any or all of those things, right? Like Yeah. Well no, I'm I was I no I don't want those. But only if they can make action figures they, they, of Rhett Butler and uh Scarlett O'Hara. Uh yeah, I just you know like I say, I, I get uh, I feel the emotions like everybody else. I'm a lifelong Star Wars fan like everybody else. I love watching these things. Watching that first moment when Obi-Wan lines up and he does the sword over, lightsaber over his head bit, which they've never done in live action. They've only ever done it in the cartoon where he has the, the lightsaber over his head. I got shivers up my spine. I oh, love when it, it when he when he lit up himself that way when he's pointing it at, at um, when he's got it up and he's he's holding it like a like a um, like a fencer and he's got the, like, the sword like up samurai, over his yeah, head yeah, and yeah. his arm yeah, yeah, is, yeah. his pink fingers pointing. That yeah. is fantastic mm-hmm. and it was a thrill to see that brought to live action. That. Yeah. Being said, um, you know, <laughs> it's hard not to be a little cynical about some of this stuff. Just the way that they're sort of manipulating this period in time to tell you a story that in the end amounts to not a heck of a lot. And it was filled with predestined events. You knew Darth Vader lives, you know Obi-Wan lives, you know Leia lives, you know Ben and, and uh, or you know that um, Owen and Beru, for the time being, live. Uh, although it's, it gets harder. Like, I, I found myself enjoying Baru in this episode, thinking like, yeah, she's a good mom. She's like, you know, taking care of Luke and she gets the gun and she's ready to defend her home. And I was like, I like this character. I'm like, boy, she meets an ignominious end as a burning skeleton in, yeah, a, exactly. in about 10 years. That's awful now. But um, they came from behind. Yeah. Like, it's just uh, it's just funny. Like some of these things in the end, you know, like full of sound and fury signifying nothing. Yeah. Nothing. You know, Reva, interesting character, but very confusing uh, arc. What do we really get out of this? My only thought of, of what we got out of this is perhaps uh 
we get uh, Ice Cube Jr., O'Shea Jackson Jr., uh, you know, there's that f- very quick moment where Obi-Wan says, you know, this this cause is going to need leaders. You're a natural leader. You should lead them. Yeah. And he yeah. says, well, yeah, I'm just getting started. I wonder if we he pops up as an older version of himself in something like Andor. Yeah. Mm. Yeah, yeah. That could be. But I... Yeah, I don't know. I mean, as I as I'm trying to sort of process all of this, there were certainly some very high highs in this six parts, some really fun things, and Ewan McGregor's a fantastic actor, and the performances were great, mm-hmm. and there was lots of things to enjoy, and it does add to the legacy. But as with any prequel, we talk about the prequel problem, but as with any prequel, so much is predestined that you go on these adventures and you end up with the status quo, right? Like it's not like it takes you anywhere else. And and you have to know that going in, and so it's hard not to feel like, oh, so yeah, here we are, right, pretty much where we left off. Sorry, I hope I'm not bringing everybody down. I just uh... <laughs> no, I think it's probably a, a good recap of the the six part limited series. Yeah, I, do you guys think that there's room for a, another one of these? There's been a buzz that that. The, it was the, one of the best things ever put on Disney Plus, as far as the ratings, apparently. And really, yeah. Hmm. And apparently, uh, there has been some discussion that they could do a second part. Oh, really? Could we wait four years for that? I mean, maybe. I mean, theoretically, you could do more. Although, I don't know how you top it as far as you know. Obi Wan and Darth Vader is the thing, right? I don't know what else you do. Yeah, that gets bigger. Like, are they going to fight again? Like, that would seem unnecessary. Obi-Wan goes to college? I don't know. Yeah, I mean, we, you get to watch him build the house, and uh, you get to watch him forget that he has all his droids as his space Alzheimer's kicks in. Off you go, Jaime. Let's talk about Ms. Marvel. No, no, it's me. It's me. No, Jonathan. Okay. Jonathan, let's talk about Ms. Marvel. Ms. Marvel. <laughs> yeah. So speaking of, uh, of sort of uh, events, it's hard to believe. This is only a six-part series as well. So this was the halfway point. Uh, Ms. Marvel, episode three. So in this one, uh, we we get this sort of pickup from where we left off last episode. You'll recall that, uh, that um, Kamala was trying to escape from damage control who were trying to figure out who she is. She ends up getting in the car with Kamran and in the back seat, he introduces his mom and it's the woman that he's seen in his, uh, she, she's seen in her visions uh, revolving around the bangle that she wears that had uh, uh, unlocked her powers. So we flash back to 1942 and this is uh, during the British occupation of then India, and uh, we see a group of people sort of inside of this ancient-looking temple. They're digging around. They're looking for something. Very noticeably on the floor there is one of the symbols from Shang-Chi. So do with that what you will. Uh, they end up finding the thing they're looking for. It's this bangle, and the bangle happens to be attached to a blue arm. Uh, again, solidifying the ties to Captain Marvel, blue-skinned people in the MCU are Kree. And the Kree is where uh, Carol Danvers obviously has spent a lot of her time in, if you go back and watch that story. Uh, Aisha, who is Kamala's great-grandmother takes the bangle, pops it on, seems to have the same effect on her that it had on Kamala, that is, that it's sort of unlocked these powers, and um, 
she and um, N- Najma, Najma, is that the, am I saying that right? Najma, uh, who says I think she's her sister or something. Uh, they basically agree, you know, go our separate ways. We got to evade the British forces. We'll get out of here. And then we realize, okay, this is we're actually getting this sort of um, backstory, and it's it's Najma who's. Kamran's mom telling the story of, you know, this to Kamala and, or Kamala, and she's basically saying, you know, we were from another dimension, that we need this bangle that you now have, it's going to uh, be the way that we can get back home to the, the, the dimension we come from, um, we are the clandestines, some call us the clandestines, some call us jinn. Clandestines is a little bit of a segue. Is clandestine, clan clandestine, was a comic from the 1990s, a bit obscure. One of my favorite artists, Alan Davis, wrote and drew. It was about this sort of group of of people that were um, a family that were connected. So it, it it sort of takes that part of it, and. Um, yeah, they basically sort of outline that they are, you know, these interdimensional beings that belong in Nur or the light and that they have to get back there and they need uh, Kamal's help to get there. Um, we end up with picking up the next day. Damage control shows up at the mosque because that's where it was outside the mosque was where they interacted with her. And they go inside and they are, you know, asking for, you know, anybody who knows anything, questions or whatever else. Um, They get a pretty brusque uh, response, Uh, very polite, but, you know, firm from um, uh, Nakia and uh, the sheikh, who is the the leader of the church, sort of saying, you know, and next time take your shoes off, Uh, you know, come back when you have a warrant. We're not we're not here to, you know, we're not going to buy into your usual U.S. government rhetoric of going into mosques, trying to turn Muslims against Muslims. I thought that was very poignant. We uh, we then get um, a little bit more of the uh, preamble for the wedding between Kamala's brother and uh, his his fiance. Um, some fun cultural sort of stuff in there, the hiding of the shoes and stuff like that, which I thought was really, you know, it's always nice to sort of get a glimpse inside the traditions and stuff like that. Uh, Bruno sends over a, a gift. Uh, she opens up her her uh, box and it's a mask and the mask is obviously so that she can start hiding her identity. Uh, although she keeps wearing the Ms. Marvel or the, the Captain Marvel outfit, which has got the big fin and a full like uh, visor that comes down to her face. So it's not like her face was really like out there. Right. So seemed a yeah. little bit timing wise, a little confusing. Um, and then let's see. I can't remember how we, we got to this point. So she, and then she figures out, we see a little bit of the backstory that the djinn are sort of not everything that they appear to be. They're going to sort of, you know, get the bangle any, any way necessary. They want her help, but they're, they're going to take it one way or the other. The, um, she finds out, uh, that the djinn are, are part of pre-Islamic folklore and they are part of Islamic folk, folklore as well. And that they, has had 
possibly been banished from wherever they were from for a reason. And so she starts to get, um, you know, a little sneaky suspicion. Bruno reveals to her that he's gotten accepted into Caltech, but he's feeling kind of conflicted. Um, and then, you know, she has a good, you know, chat with, she has a good chat with the Sheik at the, the pre-wedding party. Then she has a good chat with her mom. And then, uh, yeah, and then we get the wedding day. And the, the wedding day, she, you know, is a big, big party, really fun dance number. You know, again, nice, nice sampling of, of um, Muslim traditions and, and, and the wedding and stuff like that. So it's nice. Um, I love that the band is called Brown Jovi. That was hilarious for the, the New yeah, Jersey-based uh, uh, band. Um, it's at that point that the, the, the clandestines basically say, we are, you know, we're going to go get this thing. <laughs> Again, the very patient people, they wait like like not even 12 hours. They're like, yeah, let's go crash this party and, and get this thing from her. Comron calls and sort of says, you know, you got to, you know, you got to get out of here. Uh, then Kamala pulls the fire alarm. And there's a whole sort of montage of the them trying to escape, people leaving in panic, the jinn start attacking, and uh, it's all set to living a living on a prayer by Bon Jovi, of course, the, the real version, not Brown Jovi, and uh, um, yeah, it's basically you know all these different ways that she's trying to sort of evade, escape, and they're trying to sort of you know catch her and, and steal this thing. Um, she ends up having this very um, strong vision again where she sees, as, as she sort of gets out of this, you know, uh, escape, Kamran helps her, uh, Bruno helps her, Bruno ends up getting hurt, they end up sort of, you know, uh, escaping. She has this very strong vision where she sees a train and the front of the train says Karachi and... Um, yeah, damage control basically comes in at the last second and starts, you know, uh, cracking heads on the the gin. Um, on their way out, Nakia discovers that Kamala is the is nightlight or <laughs> or whatever or gin and tonic as she calls herself earlier in the episode. Um, and then um, she basically goes home and they, they say, you know, where have you been? Did you pull the fire alarm? She says, I can't tell you. And uh, she ends up going up to her room. She gets a phone call on her phone and it's a, a FaceTime call. And the FaceTime call is her grandmother and her grandmother is saying, you have to come to Karachi. Did you see the train? And she says, what? And she says, yeah, I, I saw the train too. You saw the train. Uh, and she's like, you have to come to Karachi. She's like, mom's not going to let me go to Karachi. So you have to bring her too. We have to, you know, we have to deal with this. And so we leave with this sort of like, you know, hey, what's going on with the, you know, grandma's the the weird one in the family. What does she know? Sort of sets up for the second half of this. And then that's where we end off is, is come to Karachi. Um, I'm just going to, before we have our discussion, mention that in the one day since this episode went live on Disney Plus, there has been a pretty good sized backlash online about the use of Jin in the story because many Muslim people feel like it is offensive to use that archetype inside this storytelling as the bad guys. So there's been a lot of stuff on social that I've been seeing uh, over the last day and a half of of people saying, you know, like, I really hope that this is a red herring, that this is not, you know, this is not what you what you 
are portraying it to be a lot of people are like you know this is lazy story writing this is you know cultural appropriation um I, I I tend to agree with the philosophy that this is all a red herring that this is not actually um they're not Jin. they're not from this other dimension or whatever that they're actually uh somewhat connected to the Kree and therefore back more to the the Captain Marvel of it all and setting the stage for the connection between Captain Marvel and Ms. Marvel in the movie that's coming out next year called The Marvels. Uh, but yeah, if if you go and take a temperature t- test out there right now, there's a lot of uh, offended Muslim and uh, and other people online saying this is this is not not the best outcome. Um, there's a term for it, and I cannot remember. Let me see if I can find it. There was a term for there's a good article from uh, Comic Book Resources, and there's a couple other ones that are talking about this. Uh, yes, a number of fans have expressed frustration with the reveal, specifying that the Quran condemns the practice of wor- worshiping jinn. And um, yeah, they've got a whole bunch of pulled out tweets and, and stuff like that. Oh, shirk. Shirk is a huge sin in Muslim culture, and it's it's basically idolatry. You, you're not allowed to, to to worship anybody but Allah and and worshiping jinn is considered shirk but yeah so we will see how this plays out i'm hoping that as the story plays out that they will find a way to sort of write this ship and that maybe that this was just a, a a red herring that was um not intended to be offensive that perhaps went that way. We'll give them the benefit of the doubt until they finish their story. But in the, for the short term, well, we have another six days. People are a little ticked off. Yeah. I wonder if where they're going with it is that uh, these individuals are Jin in the same way that Thor and Odin are Norse gods, which is to say not at all, right? That they are, they're the source of that, um, that sort of names and stuff, but they're not the actual ones themselves, right? In the in the MCU, like that's different, uh, at least for the Marvel comics. That like Thor is literally the god of thunder, whereas in in the MCU is more like what are they like alien alternate plane people who influenced uh, primitive uh, humans and, and ended up in the mythology. So I'm gonna guess it's probably the same thing here, but uh, it's not my culture, so it's really hard to. To, yeah, I mean, I, I, I don't have a parallel for myself as far as like what would trigger that kind of offense for me uh, beyond, obviously, you know, if, if I found it to be, you know, sexist or racist or homophobic or, you know what I mean? Like things that obviously offend me in those ways. I I don't have a religious comparison, but I can understand if people felt like their their beliefs were being co-opted, why they would be taking offense. That being said, uh I'm hoping that there's a path to redemption for the way that they're telling this story that will leave those people feeling less offended and more satisfied with the way that the story plays out. Yeah. And even though I think that um, the the way that the clandestines are going about their things is, is meant to be antagonistic. I don't think they're necessarily like the bad guys, right? Like they're, they're seemingly really short sighted and very selfish on like, it may blow up this other, uh, plane of existence it might not what do we care we just want to get back home right like that's their their goal their goal isn't to like dominate their goal isn't to like take over the world or anything um and i feel like uh, damage control is going to end up being much more the the villain here um i I saw some folks online they were like oh i thought damage control was just like um from uh spider-man homecoming 
where they're like, yeah, oh, it's, it's just like guys who go clean up junk, right? Yeah. Yeah, they definitely are, in the comic books, they were kind of a bit of a joke. They were like, you know, what do you do when, you know, Spider-Man and the Rhino have just had a fight on your street? Oh, you call in damage control, they come and they, they put everything back the way that it was. Now they've been sort of turned into this sort of vaguely nefarious, mildly racist uh, governmental organization that are, you know, hell-bent on for some reason, tracking down super-powered beings. Now, I've read some speculative pieces online that are saying that, you know, perhaps they are not uh, doing this for ill, but perhaps that they are gathering up these individuals for something like the Young Avengers. That, that the reason why they're gathering these people is not nefarious. It's, in fact, because they want to build their own team. Because as we've talked about on, on previous episodes of this pod, they... The Marvel Cinematic Universe, especially through Disney Plus, has been planting seeds for the Young Avengers for quite a while now, and so maybe that this this is tied into that or something. Who knows? Who knows? Could be. I, I could also see them being antagonists in kind of a short-sighted and selfish way, where it's not unreasonable to say, "Hey, every time there is a super, we have to stop them because stuff like you know." A huge celestial monster <laughs> comes out of the Pacific Ocean every time that supers get involved in stuff, right? So we're we're better off, or or Sokovia goes goes bye bye into the into the sky. Um, so I, I could see them as like uh, you know a flawed organization that reading into it as an American without trying to make it too political. I'm like, oh, so this government agency got formed for ostensibly pretty decent reasons and has gone awry i wonder where i've heard that before yeah um, maybe yeah. this doesn't happen in other countries but like damage control being a oh yeah whatever they're they're cool rainbows and sunshine to they're coming here and uh trying to press against people's rights when they were going into the the mosque is that felt pretty true to me <laughs> can't speak for other countries but that that sounded pretty accurate yeah so we're now that we're halfway through this one, how are we feeling about this story? Appropriate level of mystery? Still fun? I think still fun. I think, you know, it's a unique character to me. I'm not familiar with the character. It's uniquely told as a unique perspective of the, the teenage girl. We don't we don't get that a lot. It's told from a teenager's perspective. It's got a, a culture that I'm not, you know, uh, intimately familiar with it's not one that we've seen traditionally a lot so that's that's great i do think that the 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 place it fits here is to set up other things right i think it is laying the groundwork for uh, the marvels movie um so it's it's filler is the wrong word here foundational is kind of where it is right it, and it's got that to it so i don't know that i find it as um off the wall as as moon knight was no, um, oh, yeah, uh, or 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 Loki, um, or or probably my favorite still, I think remaining here is probably WandaVision. Um, mm. But I think it's it's pretty good. I think it's one I would still recommend to people. I don't know that it would be a and this is why you go get Disney Plus kind of show. Which nothing wrong with that. You still have plenty of good stuff to watch um, by by watching and enjoying this. Ooh, this I, show. I like what you've just opened the door to, Jaime. What is the series that would be that? <clears throat> I probably have to know how much they they know about stuff, right? Because like 
I, I'd like WandaVision the the best in terms of it is just so out there. But I don't know that it is a, and this is why you go get Disney Plus for like some of my family members who are more casual Marvel fans. They'd be like, what the hell am I watching? <laughs> why is this a 1950s black and white show? Right. Um, I think Loki works a little bit better, if only because uh, for that sort of fact, because it is a character who people have seen more often. He's been in a lot of Marvel movies. So even the more casual person would be like, oh, okay. And the premise is pretty straightforward oh there's alternate reality versions got it Nut- nutty things happen right and it's pretty well well performed yeah no i agree yeah it's interesting when you reflect on it i mean uh, mandalorian is sort of the, certainly started to become sort of an essential piece of pop culture grogu being what it is and everything uh yeah it's interesting to sort of think about i've enjoyed all of the MCU series and the Star Wars series that they put out so far in different ways, some better than others, obviously. But I still, unless you were already a Star Wars fan or a Marvel fan, I don't know that I could sell Disney Plus. Yeah, uh, I was limiting myself to just the, the MCU stuff when I made my statement. Um, anecdotally, <laughs> my uh, my mother, who is very casual as a Star Wars fan, like to the point where even here a couple of decades later, I'm still having to explain who's who in the prequels versus the original trilogy. It's like, Oh no, that's not young Luke. That's, that's his father. That's the guy who becomes Darth Vader. <laughs> right. So pretty, pretty casual. And she loved and enjoyed the Mandalorian. I was like, Oh, okay. So it's, it's self-contained enough that you can enjoy the story without, um, without having to know all the characters, right? Without having to come pre-prepped with a lot of intricate knowledge. Yeah. So for overall Disney Plus, that's probably the one that I sell people on the service if they they're not into the the service. Well, and Star Wars has become the modern, uh, you know, one of the modern archetypes of stories. Like it's so rare to find someone that doesn't know the basics of Star Wars. That I know one person. Yeah, and there, there certainly are, but I mean, <laughs> there are certainly. It's become so ubiquitous just because it's it's crossover across pop culture that you know people. If you say Luke Skywalker, they still know who that is, right? Like mm-hmm. Darth Vader. Mm-hmm. Like you know, it's unavoidable in its way, right? I mean, I like it from the point of view get to see some Muslim things that I never like. I've never seen a Muslim wedding before. Mm. So that was cool. And, you know, um, it's funny that the dance sequence, the, um, my sister's kids, the boys did a Bollywood dance at one of the, one of their weddings and, you know, totally surprised everybody by, by having done this or prepared this sort of thing. And it's kind of like what the husband does in, in this scene where, you know, they got the whole, everybody's doing the Bollywood dance style thing. And then the husband jumps up and the wife's like, what, (laughs) when did you, when did you learn that kind of thing? And sort of a, I guess it's a wedding tradition, but uh, that was kind of cool. But as far as the story goes, I mean, um, yeah, I mean, the, the the baddies sort of turning on her, like, right in the third episode. I mean, I guess it's only a six-episode series season, so the baddies had to show up at some point. Um, but, you know, you know, I, I, I don't know where it's going to go, where the story's going. Like, it's, it's almost like, you know, because it seemed to be a lot of fluff in the first sort of, you know, Miss Marvel kind of discovering herself and she hasn't quite got her uniform or her costume all set up and she's not really thinking of herself as a, as a superhero. It's kind of like the, you know, the Tobey Maguire origins of, of Spider-Man where he's like, you know, wearing a, you know, sort of a red pullover on his head sort of thing. Um, yeah, it's just, it's, it's, 
it's okay. I mean, it's not, not my favorite thing to watch. You know, I watch it because we were on this podcast, but if I had a choice, I'd probably watch something different, you know? Yeah. Except for, except for like I said, like, like the sort of the Muslim, uh, in, in, those kind of um, uh, little bits are interesting. But I'm, again, I, I often wonder when, like, who is this for? Like, w- like, you know, there's so much negativity towards Muslim culture in, in, I hate to say, the United States these days. You know, it just seems to be a touchy subject, right? Like, why would they go out on a limb and, and put this show out there? Other than to break down those barriers, right? You know? I think that's the hope to break down barriers where, um, I think pretty arguably uh, Black Panther did that back in, what, 2018? Right, where we said for the next things, like I sure hope Shang Chi is the uh, the Asian Black Panther, and even though this isn't the same uh, stakes because it's not a movie, this is hopefully the the Muslim Black Panther, right? That it, it breaks the the sort of mold of having um, a bunch of white dudes and occasionally a white woman as the heroes, right? And get some more um, uh, some more diversity in the in the kinds of, of people that are getting represented, the kind of uh, heroes that are getting represented and, and a bunch of the culture that's coming along with that. Hmm. Yep. All right. Well, I guess we move on to our watch list. Yep. Mm-hmm. All righty. I think I am up first. Um, big sigh. For All Mankind, Season 3 is out, and I'm calling it The Return of WTF. <laughs> um, the first epi- first season was kind of a stretch because the, the premise is that imagine, if you will, that the Americans didn't win the space race and the Russians won the space race to get to the moon first, right? And then it kind of, you know, evolves into um, man staying up on the moon and the Americans having this mission and eventually they bring guns and they have like a little mini war with the Russians on, on the moon. I think that's season two. Um, and then, you know, season two is a bit of a stretch. They build this sort of space station alpha kind of thing. and um, although the moon doesn't leave the Earth's orbit, though, but uh, you know, goes on and on, and and it kind of it it takes characters that are uh, based on real people in in NASA's history and moves them forward in terms of like different storylines and that kind of stuff. And so you know, they're kind of playing with the timeline, they're playing with the technology. Uh, the first episode was obviously in in the late '60s. Second one was a few years later, like mid '70s, when Americans were actually doing Skylab. They were that's where they were doing this thing on. This fictitious thing on the moon, and now they are going to Mars, and they've got this uh, 2001 style um, space station uh, where it's a hotel, and you can go up and and you know the main characters go off and have a wedding up on this this thing, and you know of course one of the retro rockets that keeps the thing spinning fails, and it starts spinning super fast. Everybody gets really dizzy and can't you know the gravity gets huge, and they all start falling down and yeah, WTF, right? Hmm. Um, two se- two shows in, and I mean, it's it was a stretch to sit through the first season, knowing the history of of NASA as much as I do. You know, sort of seeing them play with the story, but like, I don't I don't know where this show is going. And people love it; they just can't get enough of this. Space nuts that I know love this show, and I'm just looking at it and going, "This is the worst writing I've seen in a long, long time." Again. You know, we're moving, you know, through three decades now in this story, and it's still the same characters now. They're just older. Like, I'm sorry, astronauts retire. <laughs> you know, they don't carry it. Like, you know, and just because, like, this one main character that they have in the thing, they keep pulling him back out as the only one that could possibly solve this this situation. It's it's ridiculous. I mean, 
you know, it is a work of fiction, and but yeah, it's a stretch, man. I'm telling you, I cannot recommend watching this show. So I'm a little confused because I've not seen the show. Does it span decades? Like, what decade are they in if they're going to Mars? Yeah, well, it starts off. It starts off in the '60s, and and you know, they end '69. They end up with the Russians laying on the moon before the Americans, and then there's a few, you know, there's sort of them having like space missions and stuff like that, uh, living on the moon, and then they build this sort of in second season, they build a um, sort of a habitat, you know, kind of like community where they can live on the moon. And, and what decade is that? They're trying to, they're looking, for, they're looking for resources. Huh? And what decade does that happen, let me ask? I want to say like mid-70s. Like, I mean, in terms of like, you know, there's, there's, it's kind of interesting. I mean, there's some sort of funny tongue firmly planted in cheek jokes, right? Um, this, this latest season, you know, they have video Newtons where they can do video calls on the Newton. So that basically they've, they've gone and bought a whole bunch of Newtons on, on eBay and like, they've made them up to look like little video cameras. So it's kind of like they're playing with, you know, well, suppose Steve Jobs never came back to Apple and, and this is the technology they use, right? It's, it's actually an Apple show, right? So it's Apple's producing it, but, um, yeah, and so so now we're somewhere in the mid '80s, right? Um, yeah. So, and again, like this one main character, I can't remember his name. Is so uh, wonderfully easy to remember. Um, uh, played by oh, this name, the guy from um, Altered Carbon. Which one? There was two. He's a Swedish actor. Oh, Swedish Danish actor. He played uh, RoboCop recently too. Um, it's not Skarsgård, is it? No, it's not Skarsgård. And I hate the fact that it's called For All Mankind because. For All Mankind is a great movie made by the astronauts, made by Al Reinhardt, using footage made by the astronauts. Uh, Joel Kinnaman? Joel oh, Kinnaman. okay, yeah. yeah. From Terminator, yeah, yeah. Yeah, he, he plays the, the, the grizzled old astronaut that, you know, is the only guy that can save... Actually, breaks his leg in one of the episodes, so I guess he can't really save the day, but, <laughs> you know. I mean, it's it's interesting drama, but, I mean, like, it's just it's just... It, it's getting out there in terms of like I don't know they're really stretching it. It's going to be interesting to see where this. Oh, of course, there's a multi-millionaire guy who's buying up all the technology and he's going to fly them to Mars, right? Like, uh, who's that based on? Uh, yeah. Anyway, my second uh, show is one that has been on my watch list for a while, and I just got around to watching it. Um, I think it's eight episodes long each season. I just watched the first season like. Oh, just this weekend, and it's really, really good. It's called The Flight Attendant, and it stars everybody's favorite uh, character from uh, Big Bang Theory, uh, Kaylee Kowalko. Um, I don't know how I said that, but anyway, whatever, that's what I'm saying. I'm going with that. Um, she plays an, uh, um, an alcoholic uh, flight attendant who um, wakes up in... She meets a, a, a rich guy, you know, uh, you know sits, sits in 3C on her flight, not supposed to have you know uh, mingle with the with the patrons. She ends up doing it. Um, he turns up dead in the first episode, and then you know sort of you know mayhem uh, ensues from there. And then on you know how does an alcoholic deal with you know you know trying to get away? She, she didn't do it, but you know all all like she's like the prime suspect because she's in the room when he's when she wakes. She's blind drunk, wakes up. He's he's dead, right? Um, and then goes on from there but michelle gomez is in it and she plays uh, a great character um you know she missy she's missy from uh, doctor who for those of you who don't know who she is but uh she plays a, she's a baddie at first uh kind of um like she's the one possible person who committed the murder and she's you know out to get uh 
the the main character, Kelly Kowalko's character, and uh, but at one his one scene, she channels Peter Cabaldi. I don't know if you've ever seen Peter Cabaldi in, um, I mean, in Doctor Who, but also he was in a show before that, uh, Yes Minister or something like that, which is where he plays a a um, political aide in um, in Parliament in the UK, and he's just every second letter, every second word he has is an f bomb, right? And, uh, but she, I mean, she doesn't swear in this thing, but she, but she, de- which is one point there where she disses this, uh, she's been shot in the leg. She's on a plane, on a plane, trying to go to, uh, to catch up with, uh, Kelly Walker, who's flying to Rome and as part of her ship, her, her shift. Right. And, uh, this, she's sitting in first class and this, this guy's trying to hit her up and she just looks at him and says, you know, you know, I've got, I've been shot in the leg and just have no time for a wee chat. And then she pushes the button to make the, the wall partition rise up between them. Really, really funny. But yeah, and what I like about this show is it, it's it's sort of like, a, I don't know if you ever saw like a Doris Day or, or Cary Grant kind of 60s um, murder mystery kind of thing. Like even the, the music has got that sort of boppity boppity 60s, 70s kind of uh, sound to it. It's, it's a pretty interesting uh, production, right? Yeah. And there's lots of twists and turns and... It'd be interesting to see if, if you know who can catch all of them. <laughs> anyway, yeah, that's me. Uh, I got a couple things. So Westworld season four starts on Sunday. We talked about last week. They've uh, dropped trailer. Um, I'm curious. I'm curious to see. You know, they they have had a, a, a you know a long hiatus. I'm curious to see. I think a lot of people were sort of up and down on season three. I think there were some really cool scenes and some cool stuff, but it was. Not all great. I'm curious to see where they go from there and, and how they move this forward and, and how they build on what they did in season three. And, and I'm, I think it's a beautiful show. I think it, the acting is, is sublime. It's such a good cast. I think that it's filmed beautifully. I think it's scored incredibly. It's one of the most beautiful scores of all everything on television. The ingredients are there to continue to tell really interesting stories. I, I'm really curious to see if they can make it happen now. So I, I'll be uh, tuning in on Sunday to find out. The other one I have is uh, we've talked about The Boys. The Boys' next episode is an adaptation of a story from the comic books called The Herogasm. They have been teasing it all week on uh, socials and interviews and stuff like that. And they're saying this, the next episode is so wildly offensive that it should not be viewed by anyone. And they are uh, set to depict a superhero orgy in the next episode uh, as part of the the storyline. It's bonkers in the comic book. I cannot wait to see how far they push the envelope in this one. If you thought that the uh, first couple episodes had some spectacularly wild, disgusting, and offensive things, this one should put all of them to shame. So I'm really curious to see how far, how far in live action will they take this? Because the comic book version is way over the top, and I... I cannot imagine them doing that, but then this show continues to push beyond anything I think I ever expected. So I'm, I'm really curious to see what they, what they do with this. Yeah. That'll be interesting to see because they, they definitely push the limits on stuff uh, on, on the boys. And in one of the most recent episodes, my significant other asked, wait, what happened? Why, why did, you know, cause I did think she didn't know that a, like a, a character mascot 
had a person inside. She was like, why is there like meat inside? I was like, oh, that was a person. That was like Disney World. <laughs> <laughs> and the, the minimum wage worker just got exploded. Yeah, that was, that was a pretty awesome scene. <laughs> yeah, it's... Uh... I've enjoyed the season so far. It's been there's been lots of weird twists and turns. Uh, I'm 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 loving it, and I can't wait to see how how far they're going to continue to push. All right, I mean, you're up. for me on my watch list, but I've not actually watched yet because it's only been out uh, about a day on Disney Plus. Is uh, Doctor Strange and the Multiverse of Madness? Didn't have a chance to watch it prior to the show, but looking forward to watching it over the weekend. Cool. I find it somewhat. So I find it somewhat telling that uh, so the the new Harry Potter Fantastic Beasts movie has been available for for free with our subscription to Crave for at least a couple of weeks now, and I still have not carved out the time to watch it, which I think yeah, me is, is yeah. kind of telling as to uh, yeah the the <laughs> relative gravitas of that uh, kind of slipping franchise. Well, it's interesting because I was editing the show a couple of weeks ago, and the I think the um, the one before that was on, um, and I know I watched it, uh, but I, I was, so I didn't have the sound on. I was just had it in the background there, and and I completely forgot that Dumbledore was in the second movie. Yeah, not yeah, not what you wanted. Yeah. Um, so I have a question though. Have have you guys seen the Matrix? So is is Doctor Strange free for you now, Remy? On Disney Plus. Yeah, okay. Yeah, because I saw it showed up for us, too. Um, I wasn't sure if it was, like, free or what have you. Um, have you guys seen The Matrix redo yet? The no, Revelation Xavier and I, had, uh, we'd agreed we were going to watch it together, and so we've been kind of waiting for our schedules to align because he was uh, elsewhere for a little while there, so I haven't had a chance to sit down and watch that yet. Maybe this weekend. Yeah, I watched. The, I, wa- I started watching it again on uh, Crave. Now that it's funny, now that it's free, I, you know, don't really want to sit through the whole thing, but uh, it's still it's still find an interesting story, interesting take. Yeah, no, it's, that's definitely on the to do list. I'm I really do regret not seeing it in the theater. Just I know it didn't get rave reviews, but I still think you know visually they they're really interesting movies, and I think it would have been nice to have seen on mm-hmm. a bigger screen. Mm-hmm. Yeah, definitely. It's okay on TV. It's, I haven't really. I don't, I don't think it really that much it, it's it does you know some of the some of the uh nostalgia parts that they pull at you with still work so i guess okay so successful all right well i guess that's it for another week so if people want to get in touch with you jonathan where would they find you always find me on instagram and twitter as at jpk news and hi me if people want to get in touch with you i'm on twitter as at dev the hair all right my name is Dimitra t-i-m-m-i-t-r-a and on the torture machine is where you'll find me and so next time we'll see you in the future bye 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 you've been listening to the spotcast podcast if you want to find out more about the podcast or see the episode show notes visit the spotcast website at spotcast.com you can get in touch with us on the website or follow us on twitter at spotcast if you have feedback or questions send us a tweet with the hashtag ask spotcast if you like the show please consider recommending us to a friend writing a review on itunes or pledging any amount at patreon.com slash spotcast you can find details on how to help us on our website spotcast.com slash sponsor us thanks for listening and we'll see you in the future
And it's over. <laughs> so, do we have a sense of what we want to do over the next couple of weeks? No. Because I think next Thursday I'm getting in a car and driving away. Aren't that's I? the thing. I think you were you were planning on going. You're going to be in a car on next I, Thursday. I, I, I'm going to be in a car the next nobody, Friday. It ain't nobody's. It's not my plan. This is just the yeah. plan. So, I mean, we could record on Saturday when we're both down at the farm if we want to do that. Yeah, but when are we going to get a chance to watch the shows? Well, Saturday at the farm. Oh, okay. Um, en masse. Yeah, we could, we could, we could, we could uh, explore that with uh, Mr. Lopez, see what he thinks, thinks about that. So when would this be? I'm looking at the calendar here. It would be, uh, would be an hour earlier than we are now. be July 2nd to Saturday. July yeah. 2nd. Let me double check what I got going on. I don't think anything is going on. Maybe we'll sit in the car so we don't have the um, cricket. <laughs> yeah, July, July 2nd seems, uh, seems fine. Seems doable. Okay. And said, can, do you guys know when you're going here? So it's five thirty uh, Pacific. It, it, we're going back on the eighth or something like that. Which again is Thursday. Yeah. I, I just work here. Man. Yeah. Because I mean, like somebody has to edit the show too, right? So that's true. It's true. I don't even. Are you bringing your mic? Yeah, I can. Yeah, I can bring whatever. Yeah. By the way, did David give you that nut for that? Um, yeah, I'm using it right now for the shock. Yeah, yeah. Oh, what'd you? How did you hook it up? I screwed it onto my shock mount. I screwed, screwed the shock mount onto my microphone and screwed that onto my boom arm. Oh, okay, yeah, because yeah, don't that 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 particular shock mount is is worth a lot of money. Surprisingly, oh, yeah. it seems to work. Yeah. Like I've noticed that um, if I'm like yeah, doing stuff on the desk, on the it table, doesn't. We don't hear yeah, you, yeah, it does seem yeah. to absorb some of the kinetic shock. So yeah, but which I mean, because the problem I had with it is the microphone is so heavy that I had to get a special. Like I used the bass drum mic and it had to. You had to weight it at the bottom so it wouldn't tip over. Yeah, but no, it seems to be okay. My my boom arm's not bad, so yeah. I mean, yeah, that, that's the trick is trying to find a trying to find a good boom arm that will support the weight. Yeah, right no, it, it's definitely heavier. I, I noticed that right as soon as I put it on. I was like, whoa, okay. But uh, yeah. as long as I have it, well, the mic is heavy to begin with. Yeah, yeah as long yeah, as I have yeah. it positioned the right way, it's it's definitely. I think it's an improvement. Yeah, because I was trying to figure out how we did it last year. Did we just use your mic and we put it on to, bi-directional? Yeah, right? I think we put it on omnidirectional and just sat it between the two of us on nope. uh, on a table. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Cool. No, there's a, there's a front and back mode on that that mic. That's what we used yeah. last yeah. year. All right. That's, I guess that's what we'll do. All righty. Yeah, I mean, next week, it's just the two shows, right? It's just um, it's just Star oh, Trek right. on Thursday and Ms. Marvel on Wednesday. Isn't Obi-Wan's Is over with? On now? And... Um, yeah, I mean, we might we might talk about Westworld if everybody watches it. We might talk about uh, the boys. We might talk about you know other stuff. But I think multiverse of madness. The only thing that we're going to uh, yeah recap, I would say, would be those two. Yeah, I'd love to hear Jaime's thoughts on uh, multiverse of madness. We kind of I think we did a very spoiler free kind of talk about it uh, when when you and I saw it, Tim. But that'd be good to sort of mix it up. I feel like I need to watch it again almost just because it's uh, it's been a while. Actually, I'm just thinking, uh, what's her name? Is it Jenna Coleman that's in Doctor yep. Who? She's in something I saw the other day. It was probably going to be on our list of things to watch. Saw her in a trailer. Jenna. She's doing something new. Oh, man. Yeah, I saw something. I saw her in a trailer, too. What did I see her in? The Serpent? Is that it? No. Yeah, maybe she was in Victoria. She played Queen Victoria. Oh, The Sandman. She's going to be in The Sandman. A Sandman, right? Yeah, right. That's coming yeah. out in August. Yeah, yeah. That's I saw. Mm. She's playing uh, Johanna Constantine, right? John Constantine's, uh, well, theoretically family member, but uh, we'll see how they play that. This book. Constantine, yeah. Oh, really? Is that another Neil Gaiman character? Uh, Constantine? No, that was an Alan Moore character. That oh. uh, I think, as far as I know, Neil Gaiman's only ever written one 
Neil uh, written one John Constantine story. It's an incredible story. It's one of my all-time favorite books, uh, mm-hmm. of, of which I actually I met when I met Neil the first time. I got him to autograph it for me because it's such a beautiful thing. Nice. Hmm. So, yeah, he's uh, he was in town last weekend for for uh, decaf for the Toronto Comic Arts Festival. Julio. So Saturday uh, instead of Thursday this coming yep. week. And and what time do you all think? Are you gonna have to play it by ear? Or no what's... clue. <laughs> play it by ear. Okay. Let me know as we get yeah, closer, I think... so I can. We we are not our masters. Despite <laughs> what you may think. Yeah, I think last time we ended up doing it later in the evening for us, so that everyone would be like less loud and then because we'd be we'll be four hours behind you or four hours ahead of you rather i think we did it like 11 o'clock or something but for you it was seven okay but we'll see we'll see if we can find ourselves a quiet space i love my aunt and uncle's house but it's cavernous it makes a lot of noise oh for for recording oh yeah like the echo in there as well as the um just the hardwood the hardwood you know what floors. i was wondering i was wondering if we should just go rent a hotel room <laughs> uh, you know what it's not it's not the worst idea i mean it's short of you know setting up yeah. in the barn you know yeah 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 because we can probably get a rent or rent a hotel room. i don't know if they have like um I can't. The only way to explain it, Jaime, is to say that it's it's. And maybe you experienced this going back to some places in Texas, but it's like going through a time warp. It's like traveling <laughs> back in time to go down there. Like the haircuts, the clothing, the vehicle. You have internet, though. The attitudes to you know, uh, you know, smoking Everything. and drinking, and everything. it's it's mm-hmm. like traveling back in time. It's really weird. Yeah, I, I can definitely uh, understand some of that. There's there's definitely parts of. Uh, the South and Midwest that are kind of like that from, uh, from my perspective. Yeah. Yeah. When you go back to see your family, do you always fly or do you ever drive? Fly because it would take, uh, you could make it in a little over two days. It's like two change days. Like if you were wow. just driving like mad long days. Yeah. That's quite the hike. Eh? Yeah, Cause you guys yeah. are pretty far South, right? Yeah. Yeah. It's uh, El Paso's right on the, the Southern border. So. Yeah. Um, yeah, you know, Texas goes further south than that, but it's still pretty far to get down. Yeah, and its elevation changes the whole way too, right? Yeah, it gets it gets weird because El Paso is high desert, so you start out pretty high in like mountains, even though like the Seattle area is pretty much at sea level. But there's a lot of mountains to get through. Then either you've gone south into Oregon for more mountains, or you've gone kind of south southeast to um oh, idaho yeah yeah through idaho so you you end up with weird elevation changes all the way through and then yeah and then you got to go through either colorado or arizona or both nevada so yeah 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 you're, you'd be definitely a, a up and down road yeah yeah you're kind of picking your your choice of like i think the shortest possible route ends up taking you through a lot of there's nothing but farmland kind of thing. Yeah, yeah. So farmland and scrub brush. Yeah. So if you're wanting more of a of a sort of joyous kind of view, you're you're trying to go through Colorado at some point, or you're going mm. uh, down through uh, through L.A. through that route, yeah. and seeing what California has to offer. Yeah. Well, as long as you stay off the freeways, it's fine. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. That that's the that's the weirdest part is avoiding L.A. itself uh, yeah. because of traffic. Oh yeah, yeah. That adds an extra day onto your trip right there. Mm-hmm. mm-hmm. Yeah. Hey, kids. I got to boogie. All right. 
You love the nightlife? Boogie. No, it's, um, that's a um, whole lot of love encore from A Song Remains the Same. Uh, back to Boogie? Yeah. Back to keep on boogieing. Yep. All right, gents. Well, then we'll talk next week live. Second ever episode live from the farm. Stranger yep. things have happened. There you go. All, All right. right. See you guys. Bye. See you later. Bye. Bye. As humans, we're naturally driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search. Match. With Indeed, when I was looking to hire someone, it was so slow and overwhelming. I wish I had used Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash podcast. That's Indeed.com slash podcast. Terms and conditions apply. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun... Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba.